Listening to the quarter to three movie podcast for Life of Crime. My name is Tom Chicken to discuss Life of Crime with you. Maybe you haven't seen it. Don't worry. I'm not going to give away any spoilers or anything. Uh, but first, I'm going to bring on board Christian Moltoski. Jesus Christ, how did you know my name? <laughs> and with a Life of Crime tagline, Kelly Wand. You sent a waitress to fetch me? <laughs> People have no idea what we're laughing at, and that's fine. It's fine. No I don't that's... care. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but before we talk about Life of Crime, uh, we have – it's no longer a new feature, by the way. This is now uh, an entrenched part of the podcast. Kelly Wand, we would like you to give us an IMDb synopsis of the week, and then me and Dingus will guess the movie. Is that how this is going to work? Yeah. Awesome. What do you got for us this week? Oh, a guy sent in a really good one, but it's too similar to some later. So, instead, right, I, Kelly, one, do you accept listener submissions for these? Uh, it sounds like a no. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it was a really good one. I'll read it after the podcast. So basically, you're not too proud to be pointed in the right direction, you're saying. <laughs> well, I just have so many now to choose from. Okay. But this I try a, to have some. It sounds like a Motown song. Not too proud to be pointed in the right direction. <laughs> what was the other thing I thought was a song? <laughs> Jeez, do we really have to narrow that down? <laughs> that question could go on forever. Yeah. This week's IMDb... Synopsis movie synopsis is a high school wise guy is determined to have a day off from school, despite what the principal thinks of that. It's not, it doesn't say it does not say despite what the principal thinks yeah, it of does. that. It doesn't just end with despite what the principal thinks. Despite what the principal thinks of that. So that. Despite what the principal thinks of that. I love that. Well, yeah, because I'm not sure which part of it. The principal's thinking about. You could even just say this guy, or his determination, or the day off. You could you even say, just say, in spite of the principal. Or yeah, despite the principal. Right, right. Uh, all right. So this is obviously Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, I forgot to write what movie that goes to. So, <laughs> so you can't confirm. You can neither confirm nor deny whether I'm correct. <laughs> it's that, or it's uh, Annie Hall. I can't read my writing, and it's typing. It's it's one of the John Hughes movies. All right, could be from uh, his earlier funnier period. Uh, good. All right, so that's the <laughs> don't give me that of the week. <laughs> I guess the listener submission would have been a better uh, better bet. No, huh? that's a good one. That, that's a good one. I mean, a little. I, I I will if I can critique it, Kelly. One too short. No, no, a, a little too easy. Well, you know, I'm not trying to stump. The house. Oh, good. Trying to entertain okay. the house. I see. In that case, it was perfect. Uh, see, that's nice. the thing. You're the gamer. To you, it's always like. Yeah, I can beat that level. 
Yeah. Right. yeah. Just get all the Martha Mary Magdalene names right, noob. That's I, how you talk. I would like to now challenge you to name the movie where Elizabeth Olsen is recovering from brainwashing from having been with a cult that John Hawks leads. What is the name of that movie, Kelly Wand? Go. Um, the uh, Casey uh, Elijah. <laughs> Can you really not do it? Martha May... We know it's four words. I'm not going to say whether you're right or wrong. Until oh, I thought I could at least get it quarter by quarter this way. Nope, four words. Give me. Some. Okay, the first one's Martha. Go on. <laughs> Martha May. No, go in reverse alphabetical order. Martha, reverse alphabetical. Okay, Mary. Martha. No, Martha. Martha's right. Oh. The thing is, don't coach him. That defeats oh, the point. We have to do this until he can do it on his own, Dingus. Oh, yeah, saying we're going reverse alphabetical order to a stoner isn't really letting him do it on its own. You're it's right. Over the cliff. Okay, I guess you're not ready for this, Kaylon. I want you to practice over the course of the week. It's Martha Marcy May Marlene. Martha, wait, say it again. Martha Marcy May Marlene. Martha Marcy May Marlene. So just practice over the course of the week. Look in the mirror and practice. So the it's all mar 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 except for the number third third one. <laughs> Or here's here's a suggestion. If you watch the movie again, Why you just say that. As what? we mentioned, if you watch the movie again, because as we mentioned on the podcast before we saw it, we were all like, "What? How are you supposed to remember those?" But the movie makes it clear how the name comes about, what it means. The movie builds it for you narratively, so it's a good it's a good mnemonic for for learning the titles. Actually, watching the movie. Uh, all right, explain the. <laughs> Dude, where's my car joke to me now? <laughs> so I have a tattoo on my back. What's mine say? Dude. What's your, what's, oh, sorry, I, I jumped your line. What's mine say? Dude, what's mine say? Sweet, what's mine say? Dude. What, oh, what's mine say? I your line, I forget. You guys are the worst. I'm trying to keep track of it. I know, I'm terrible with cues. They're way too smart of that movie for me. <laughs> I don't understand why if someone says sweet, he would say, what's mine say? I get the dude, what's mine say? It's just how they talk, Kelly Wand. No, but if you went, what's mine say, sweet, I wouldn't go, oh, yours says sweet, what's mine say, irritably. Remember how good he was in Goon? <laughs> Ashton Kelly? Kutcher? What's that? <laughs> you, guys are, you guys will laugh at this, but Ashton Kutcher, two mo- I'm going to recommend two Ashton Kutcher movies. wrestling I've, movie? I've recommended them to you before. There's the wrestling movie where Michelle Pfeiffer, he has kind of an affair with her, and he becomes, uh, he like has a relationship with her, her, her son, and he's a wrestler, and he's so good in that. And then there's another movie that he's not good in, he's incredibly annoying, which is appropriate, but Anne Heche is so super hot, uh, called Spread. And I forget what the one is where he's a wrestler with Michelle Pfeiffer. But Ashton Kutcher. Frankie and Johnny. No, no. no. Uh, Ashton Kutcher, that fella, he's going places. He's, his best days are ahead of him. Yep, exactly. Despite what the principal thinks. Oh, you know what? I did see that Job, 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 Jobs movie. Ugh. Oh. Ugh. Yeah. Just see, really... biopics are – they're low-hanging fruit, but they're also always bad. Well, I think when they're trying to be, like, reverent and stuff, like, it was just yeah. so turgid and dry. Also, real life isn't just drama for 90 minutes. Like, they always compress and transpose shit. Yeah. Oh, you know what? There's, maybe there's a three-by-three. Three. Least terrible biopics. Speaking of biopics, yes, Kelly one. Um, I found a new way, a new cool way to play your Harrison Ford game. Hmm. <laughs> it's not a game; it's a it's a 
it's a it's a scientifically established fact. But but what, what how, it's real. It's, 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 it's real life for ninety minutes. Yeah. It's kind of similar to if Ashton Kutcher was wearing a Harrison Ford tattoo and then went what's mindset and then the other guy. Well, real quick before you present this, Kelly Wan, why don't you tell the listeners what what this is? Oh, it's Tom's. Uh, assertion he claims is unanimous, even though he has yet to find one person who agrees with him, that Dwayne Johnson is a better actor than Harrison Ford. Right, right. Based on Harrison Ford's recent work exclusively. As nope, far as nope. based, on, based on both of their careers in their entire... Based on Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yep, Dwayne Johnson is... Be- if you look at the sum total of Dwayne Johnson's ability as an actor in movies, and the sum total of Harrison Ford, Dwayne Johnson is a better actor. Okay, well... You'll like my game because it kind of favors your point of view. Okay. Is I found it. It's like you watch a movie with either one of them in it, and then you try and decide if the other person would have been better. Mm. And the one I was watching with Harrison Ford was Six Days, Seven Nights. <laughs> and I was thinking I was watching it. Dwayne Johnson. I would would be more. This would. Be, I'd rather be watching him on an island with Anne Hage for some reason. I would be into that. Yeah. Did, is Anne Hage? Is like did Anne Hage become like super hot? Like later in her career, or is she super hot in Six Days, Seven Nights? She's supposed to be, because he's. She complains that he's scoping out her ass a lot, and then he he pulls a snake out of her pants, shorts, <laughs> like you do. It's like African Queen. But here's the thing I'm wondering about, Anne. <laughs> like, is, is, does Anne Hayes just become hot to us as we got older, or did she, she become, became hot? She, she becomes hot to you, Tom. I mean, yeah, it's just you, yeah. Tom. No, 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 no. You guys, come on. You guys have seen Birth. You haven't seen this thing called Spread. Uh, but what? Uh, 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 Cedar Rapids. You guys have seen Cedar Rapids. I didn't you know watch Birth. Going, oh man, it's Anne Hayes. Well, dude. Cedar Rapids. Seriously, Cedar What's Rapids that? is one of the most recent things she did. She's super hot in Cedar Rapids, Cedar right? Rapids. That's not just me. Is that obviously a noir movie? No, no. Cedar Rapids <laughs> is a is a John C. Riley. Uh, it's putatively a comedy. It's uh, I forget the names of the brothers who direct those things. Um, the Fairly Brothers? No, they did something I think called Idaho Falls. I might be mistaken. Though. Always a location title. But isn't C- Dingus? You know Cedar Rapids, right? <laughs> Never. A Always place. a waterfall title, even. <laughs> Never a place. Dingus, you don't know Cedar Rapids? Am I? Like, oh no, no! I've seen Cedar Rapids. It's just, it's. I mean, uh, John C. Riley is really good in it. It's just this. I mean, you kind of waved me off of it at first, uh, and you told me that Anne Hayes was super hot in it, and she's fine. I don't. Tom's, I just. I just don't. Oh. I mean, you. You kind of go Hope Davis on her. It's kind of weird. You know what's funny? Uh, it's Tom likes Veronica Cartwright too, and she looks kind of like Anne Hayes. Like they both have that kind of <laughs> washed out. Short blonde look. By the way, I, I totally lied. Cedar Rapids is not the guys who did Idaho Falls. It's the it's the it's a guy named uh, Miguel Arteta who did oh. Youth Youth in Revolt, which features oh. uh, the young Veronica Cartwright lookalike Portia, Portia. Uh, Doubleday. No, Shady Saunders. Wait, what is her name? Yeah, Portia Doubleday. Yeah. And so. Boop is the dynamite. There you go. At any rate, now that I brought it full circle, let's talk about what we saw this week. All right. Full circle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, that's yeah. Okay, so maybe that wasn't a, a 100% accurate segue, but it was a segue, Kelly Wand. So it was it was a circular segue back to <laughs> what we saw this week. A, a cold a segue. Yeah. So let's go. So Dingus, what did we see this week for this podcast? All right. Well, this week we saw Life of Crime, mm-hmm. a 2014. It said 13 on my copy. I don't care. American crime comedy movie. 
about where the Coen brothers actually got their true story from. It was written and directed by Daniel Schechter, based on the novel The Switch by Elmore Leonard. It stars John Hawks, Jennifer Aniston, Isla Fischer, I'm sorry, Fisher, uh, Yassine Bey, and Mark Boone Jr. Life of Crime is rated R for language, some sexual content, and violence. Kevin, why do you take issue with any of those? <sighs> is the last one the one that's the worst, or just is it alphabetical? Uh, it's just in the order that the parental advisory board puts them. So language, sexual content, violence. Actually, I do think that's for, – for, I, I don't say this very often, but Kelly Wan, that's a good question. What was? I wasn't listening. <laughs> it does make me wonder, Ding. It's like what determines the order that the MPAA puts those disclaimers, those little warnings? I don't um, that. Most of well, the time no I read them in the order they put them in. Sometimes every – once in a while, I will throw one at the end that I think Kelly Wan will like the most, like right. some innuendo, which I love when that shows up. But, it, uh, but otherwise, I don't. I think they relate them to, and literally, when you look through all of the like all of the ways they break it down, they break it down by the number of f words, the number of s words, the number of a words, the number of violent works, the number of sexual moments, and it's and sexual content can be like a dude kissing a girl or a guy without a shirt on. So I think it's really mathematical. <laughs> it really is. I think it's really mathematical. Well, right. That's why I'm wondering, is it the one that's predominant? Is that listed first and then in descending order of, of frequency? I, I think it often is. It, it's not alphabetical, but I think it often is related to that, or sometimes it's just related to the way they... I think there is sort of a way they slot things. Language, sex, violence. I mean, but they also use terms like some and... But often, if you, if you see something like Guardians of the Galaxy, what you're going to see first is, you know, uh, science fiction, action, and violence first. And that's the predominance of what is happening in that movie. See, Kelly, I wonder if you just try to understand the MPAA rather than just blindly hating them, you might, life might be a little easier for you. They're horrible. But they always rate sex worse. Speaking of rating, <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes uh, gives Life of Crime 62%. That's the percentage of reviews that are positive. 62%. Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, has Life of Crime at 60 out of 100. Uh, the box office, uh, it's not that kind of movie. So <laughs> let's then go to the Kelly Wand Life of Chromopsis. Did I get it anywhere even in the neighborhood, Kelly Wand? Of what you're you got it in the neighborhood, but not on ground zero. All right, so why don't you uh, bring it on home, then? Life of Cripsis? Yeah, boy. All right. So, Kelly Wan, I'd like you to drive it like you stole it. Well, this is another one where I time travel went into the future, and it's an IMDb version of <laughs> Good. things, <laughs> which I feel a little bad about. Because then I thought of something better later, but then I've already written this. By I mean way- travel in the future. Yeah, if you guys are listening and you want an example of what this is like, be sure to listen to the synopsis for Life of Beth, which we did maybe two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Life I, after Beth. You get a Life of Beth, Jesus. <laughs> like, that's even, it's not even an idiom, isn't it? <laughs> is it? Life, life of Pi, Life of Beth, all of those. Life, right. The Life After Beth podcast had Kelly Wan traveling into the future 
to deliver us the IMDb synopsis of the movie, which was brilliant. So, Kelly Wan, this is sort of another take on that. It's a more benign reason to time travel than murdering your grandfather. Why would you go into the future to murder your grandfather? Well, yeah, and it's also less feasible. Yeah. All right. That's a good point. I think you're doing it wrong if, if you had... If you had any expectation that, that that would accomplish anything, I guess you go in the future to see if you if he's if you if it turned out right. Like, okay, he's still dead. I didn't make a paradox, and then you go back. That's how that's how the cops would use it. You're making time travel way more trouble than it needs to be, Kelly. <laughs> Safety not guaranteed, Tom. Whoa! Spoiler. <laughs> Speaking of life after that, mm. yeah, very good. Have you seen that? By the way, Safety Not Guaranteed. No. God, I found that movie so annoying. All right. You did? But uh, before I knew who Aubrey Plaza was, and now I'm kind of curious about her. Well, it's amazing watching her try to work with uh, Mark Duplass. I'm going to call him his brother's name. It is Mark Duplass, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing watching her try to work with him. That's the hard part to you for her. Uh, she's just not quite up to his, his level. I mean, that guy is so charming. He can work opposite of Bruce. That's funny because your sister's sister, you were like, he's not up to the girls' levels. Ah, right. And it was appropriate, though. It absolutely worked that So you, there's everything's a bar graph with you. Uh, you know who's good in it, though? Uh, Jake Johnson, the guy from New Girl who's in Let's Be Cops. He's really good in Safety Not Guaranteed, too. I like him in that. Uh, at any rate, I'm sorry. I'm getting You guys are getting me all oh. up. Let's get back to The Life of Cripsis, starring Kelly Wong. Life of Cripsis, IMDb version. Two men, one of them black, learn about Tim Robbins' taxes, so they kidnap his wife, <laughs> played by Leprechaun's friend Aniston, with the help of a bearded Nazi who's also chief of police. In an event, one wears a Bob Hope mask and the other goes as a Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> Unfortunately for the outcome... <laughs> MacGruber wants to have lunch with her. Jeez, really? <laughs> I didn't write it. What are you doing here, Marshmallow? Since the house look empty, he pours wine and music. So they lock him in a cellar with a head injury for company. He uses martial arts to free himself but forgets the number for police and goes home. <laughs> In another forceful performance yet, former self-help-styled coach Tom Robbins meets a girl from New York in the Bahamas, which convince him not to answer her phone when kidnapper calls. He whitens. <laughs> I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Meanwhile, in the city, the mask of Aniston has its one eye missing, so fall in love. <laughs> is this a restaurant menu? <laughs> this isn't that far from how I really write, tragically. The old bearded man and Aniston share a cigarette. Yet tensions start continuing. Things go from bad. A, shoot, a shootout with MacGruber in an unsuspecting driveway leads to violence. And the Nazi reveals he is an undercover. Some soup contents 
prepared for the Aniston leads to further loss of control. Why math? No. Uh, they miss seeing themselves on the news and blame Star of there's something about Mary's abstinence for it. <laughs> MacGruber tries to call police to confess for closet damage, but from inside the hallway she's in, the wife can't see the phone he's on. In a flashback to summer... Ted Robbins is told by his first wife, played by New Yorker Isla Fisher, that Aniston is worth more dead sooner, so he looks uncertain. The black man shows up in time for underwear because he threw her in the ocean for a misunderstanding. The different kidnapper picks his car from the restaurant up as his Nazi proposes to Grease 2's Henderson in the bedroom, but she finally turns undecided. He becomes arrested for hitting a police car, but turns out to have a wily plan for them. I remember that part. A darkly lighted caper that makes you chuckle and gasp simultaneously with flavor for good measure. Hubby's dog gives lives in crime two paws up, based on Quentin Tarantino. The end. <clears throat> Kelly, I think you found your calling. I don't think yeah. – I can't do any more of those. <laughs> no. Oh, I think you can. <laughs> you, yeah, oh. I think you can. Tell you what, I feel I feel like Humphrey Bogart at the end of Casablanca. Yeah, you and me walking off, and I realize, wow, you've probably got a bunch more of these in you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of these in me, <laughs> but now they're becoming better than the normal obsesses. No, no, I think there's room no, for no, both. No, no, but no, God, no. these are great. No. Jeez, Kelly Warren, because oh. they're new. They're still kind of fresh. I had another idea. Anyway. Oh, save it. Yeah, you can, yeah, yeah. I have an idea in the chamber. Okay. As opposed to zero ideas two days ago. <laughs> so I'm averaging an idea a day. Uh, who here most recently has seen uh, – Je- actually, who can tell us a little bit about the um, the background of this movie and its relationship to maybe other movies and books? Can I want, Can you be our source material expert? Uh, I want to be. I've never read them. I've never read Elmore okay. Leonard, and I haven't, I've read only a little James Elroy because I'm going to get them mixed up. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, we, we all do that. Uh, and they both write the same kind of stuff, sort of. Mm, Not really. Eh, you're, you're yeah, I would say no. Uh, but Dingus, then why don't you break it down for us? What's the whole deal with, with this movie? Where does it fit in with other ones? Why, why don't you give us a little bit the, about this movie's background? I don't know anything else about it, other than the, the, the dude who directed <laughs> so it. Uh, the, the dude who directed and wrote it, Daniel Schechter, I, the, one of the things that made me excited about seeing this is that I heard him on a podcast, um, and he was talking about uh, the next movie that he wanted to to do, and he had done a he had done a couple of things, um, but nothing that I'd really ever heard of. He was an editor. He had I don't know directed maybe one or two other things, um, but he he was really kind of a you know at a loss for what to do and so he looked at his at his bookshelf and he saw this movie or he saw this book the switch uh up there 
and he loved Elmore Leonard, so he read it, and he wrote a screenplay uh, for it, and he just tried to keep – it's one of those stories of keep sending it out and hope to get somebody interested in it. He finally got a couple people interested in it and got him got somebody to do it. Um, I don't otherwise know how it fits in other than, you know, of course, the, the character that it purports to be the uh, – uh, that it purports to be the weird sort of prequel sequel to um, uh, the John Hawks character. Um, but other than that, I just know that it was this guy who pulled it off the shelf. He wrote it and he got some people interested in it and he was able to get it made. Okay. Do you know more than that? Yeah, but then I'll, let's, let's hold that. So, so that said, then uh, what did you guys think of this? Um, I liked it, I think. You think okay, so you sort of qualified. You liked it. Yeah, I don't want to oversell it because it's kind of just a little movie, uh-huh. and it, it's it's more. Uh, I thought it, I found it was a satisfying. I felt like I'd gargled and spit Elmore Leonard without having read him, but okay. I got the sense of like this is probably what reading him is supposed to feel like. Okay, okay. And I liked the characters. I liked all their angles, and they seemed sort of different. I thought there was a lot of good acting, and I liked Aniston in it. Oh, interesting. That's not something that I, I figured you would say on this podcast very often. No, I don't even like – like, I think you guys liked her more than I did, even in Horrible Bosses. Maybe I misremember. Uh, my contention in the past – and, yeah, she was kind of, like, you know, weirdly sexy in Horrible Bosses. But uh, my contention in the past has been that she's incapable of generating any sort of chemistry with another actor. It's astonishing. story in this. She's in uh, a movie with Gerard Butler, who I, Gerard Butler is one of the most charming men on the earth. Where they play ex-husband and wife, and he's a bounty hunter who has to like bring her in. And oh yeah, that's a, and, and she just has zero chemistry with so many of the people she's matched with. That in the past, and I, I liked her in The Good Girl because I think that was part of what was supposed to be going on in that movie. But when they put her in romantic comedies, it almost never works for me. So a lot of times I don't. I think she's more of a liability than an asset in, in some movies. Um, uh, but, okay, so so having said that, you did like her in this. Um, I think it's your turn. Weigh in. What is, so Kelly Wand is saying it's kind of a maybe minor Elmore Leonard adaption. Would, would you agree with that, Kelly Wand? Yeah, but it's better than the big bounce. Oh, probably there's got to be so many horrible Elmore. I mean, he, he said, I think, I think there have been literally like 20 Elmore Leonard adaptation movies. Yeah. Okay, wait. Get Shorty's him, right? Yep. Yep. Big Bounce. Um, out, out of Sight, for instance. That's Elmore Leonard. There, there have been so many adaptions. Justified. With so many different tones, by the way. Right. Uh, I, I think it's hard to maybe – I've never read an Elmore Leonard, but I can imagine – from the different kinds of movies that are made from his stuff, it must be hard to get a fix on what it's really like to read Elmore Leonard. Uh, Dingus yeah, was- but the dialogue, uh-huh. is, like they all have a colorful way of speaking. Okay. Dingus, have you read Elmore Leonard? Uh, no, I can't say I have. Okay. Uh, well, what did you think of this movie, Dingus? I absolutely love it. I absolutely love this movie. And and part of it is is the fascination that I have with exactly what you just brought up, Tom, um, with... Uh, with the, with Jennifer Aniston and the chemistry that that her character and that she has with John Hawks um, knocks me out. I love this movie and I really love it too. Watching Jackie, I lo- I love the way it works with with within sort of Jackie Brown. But I just loved watching it. But uh, but 
and I think we can talk about this a little bit later. I think that the way the chemistry happens is very specific to this movie and specific to these two actors and how that develops. But, yeah, I, I absolutely love Life of Crime. Okay. Well, let me uh, sort of bridge the gap between you two then. Um, I, don't, I, I think this is a very slight movie. It's very small. Um, it's, it's very cast-based in, in terms of he's got some great names in it. But as for the actual story, these are there's really nothing new or even notable here. Uh, there, there's the, um, the 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 characters include like the the harried wife and the neglectful husband, and the typical like thug with a heart of gold, and the conniving bitch mistress, um, and you even have like the psycho who makes everything go wrong. Um, and even though I think the movie looks like it's heading for for something dark. And, and some sort of explosion or violent release, none of that ever really happens. And in a way, it feels like a movie about uh, things building to a head and then just kind of gently resolving and nobody's the worse for the wear, for the most part. Um, and it, it struck me as kind of odd the first time I saw it. I watched this a couple of times. But the first time I saw it, I was like, well, really? That's all? That's all we get? Um, and I was kind of disappointed in its smallness and ultimately... It's, it's familiarity of these, these typical characters and how mundane everything was. Um, but that said, I absolutely loved this movie for reasons beyond that and even for reasons beyond the movie because – and let me briefly unpack this. Um, I think Jackie Brown is Quentin Tarantino's best movie. Uh, Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs both have this amazing raw energy to them, and Quentin Tarantino definitely kind of introduced his style and this the, the, this kind of unique new sensibility, which it wasn't actually that unique. A lot of it came from black exploitation films and grindhouse stuff, but the way he 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 expressed some of that in movies like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs was was a revelation. It was awesome. But what happened when he finally did Jackie Brown? is he wasn't writing his own material so much. He was doing an adaptation of Elmore Leonard, and it, it forced him, I think, to be grounded in characters. And specifically, he took the main character in Jackie Brown. In Elmore Leonard's uh, story for Jackie Brown, it's not called Jackie Brown, it's called Rum Punch. And Jackie Brown isn't a black woman, she's a white uh, middle-aged stewardess um, who gets the upper hand on these characters. What Quentin Tarantino did was he took this this fondness he has for Pam Greer from these black exploitation films and he built a movie around her. And Jackie Brown, it it is not the typical Quentin Tarantino machismo because of Pam Greer and because of him putting her front and center of the movie. So so for me, Jackie Brown is Quentin Tarantino finally getting out of all of his, his guy stuff. Like, he's so guy-centric. Even Kill Bill. All that, Uma Thurman is just like a dude with tits who just beats people up. And that's awesome. She's super cool in that. But this whole idea of her being a jilted bride, that's still such a testosterone movie to me, I think. But, but Jackie Brown is not because Jackie Brown, she doesn't beat people up. She's not this dude... She's not like a martial artist or anything that a male character would play. She's a woman using her femininity in very specific ways, building a relationship with another man that may or may not be romantic. Um, and just Jackie Brown is all about this really cool female character. And I feel it forced Quentin Tarantino to focus on things in a different way than he does in his other movies. That said, uh, 
where I came into Life of Crime was knowing that two of the characters are characters who are in Jackie Brown. Not the same actors, of course, but that this was an earlier Elmore Leonard story about some characters who then appeared in Jackie Brown. So when I watch Life of Crime and, Crime and see it as this kind of mundane, small story, I kind of think of it as an origin story in a weird way for Jackie Brown. And I find that fascinating because Jackie Brown... Or Ordell and Lewis, who are played by Mostef and John Hawks, and their chemistry, by the way, is what's super fascinating to me in Life of Crime. They become Samuel L. Jackson and Robert De Niro in uh, Jackie Brown. So when I'm watching this movie, I sort of feel like, and I don't even know if this is what the director intended, but for me personally, it's kind of what I'm responding to. I sort of feel like I watch these characters, and I watch this, this kind of good-intentioned, not-really-malicious heist that they're trying to do. And I think about, how are they going to become this incredibly ruthless character of Ordell, played by Samuel Jackson, Jackie Brown, and this weirdly bottled-up, quietly intense, this guy who's going to explode and do something terrible. I mean, the shooting of Bridget Fonda in Jackie Brown is, is a really shocking moment. How is this really nice guy going to become... Robert De Niro and Jackie Brown, and I find it fascinating in the same way that you would watch an origin story in, in another prequel. So for that reason, and I don't, uh, you know, we'll maybe discuss whether or not you can see the seeds of that. For that reason, I loved this movie as thinking that these are characters who are going to become instrumental in Jackie Brown. And instrumental, by the way, in the sense that she is going to engineer both of their downfalls. It's almost like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead to Hamlet for me. Um, in that I like that Tom Stoppard play partly because of what the Shakespeare play means, and that's what he intended. So I really kind of like this as a story kind of about the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who are going to be undone in, in Jackie Brown. Uh, so that said, I kind of agree with you, Kelly, in that, yeah, I liked it, but Dingus, I agree with you in that I loved it because of this baggage I bring to it, these expectations about Jackie Brown. Huh. De Niro seems way different. I mean, like most Def, I can kind of see him becoming the Sam Jackson character. Mm-hmm. But like he just said, like De Niro's character doesn't start out as good natured. Like John Hawks is like lovable in this. Yeah, yeah. You know when he passes her in the in the um, in the country club, uh, and also just how he responds to, you know, how protective he is towards her. Right. So, but there's some moments when John Hawks is on the phone where you just see this like feral sort of like and, and he can turn it on and turn it off but he just looks crushed when you look at the beginning of jackie brown when you see them in that apartment i mean he looks like he has been mashed down by life uh and when you see john hawks in that kitchen scene where he's talking on the phone you can see him like there's something in there there's a spark in there but he's also got something else that's lovable in there well my, my theory and this is this is entirely my own i don't know what happens in uh, the interim, if Ordell and Lewis occur in other Elmore Leonard stories between The Switch, which was the basis for Life of Crime, and Rum Punch, which was the basis for Jackie Brown. But my theory, when we meet him in Jackie Brown, he's come out of being in prison for a while. Yeah. Uh, and you get this sense that right. that must have crushed him. And you also wonder, from Life of Crime, with the way Life of Crime ends... I think Life of Crime implies that he is in love with Jennifer Aniston's character, with Mickey, and that they're going to have a future together. Yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, 
it doesn't happen and he goes to prison and he's probably crushed by it and it's destroyed him and it's created this deep-seated sense of loss and frustration that just explodes at this inopportune time in Jackie Brown. And that's sort of the sense that I get and that's the trajectory I see is when, when Life of Crime ends, things are looking great for him. But at some point in the future, you know, I guess it's 20 years ago. That yeah, you're also talking about a couple of decades that passed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's going to spend, uh, I, I think, a substantial amount of that time in prison, and that's where we meet him when uh, Jackie Brown starts. With so Isla Fisher's not Bridget Fonda's character, or is she? No, they're both no, 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 funny. No. They're both named Melanie, though, I believe, yeah. But no, absolutely not. And that's total coincidence? Uh, I don't know if, I mean, if that's how no, it occurred there's in the no books. way that she's 20 years Melanie. Season. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely not the same character. No. You get the sense right. that she is, you know, the whole point... But, and I want Dingus to talk about this in a minute, but uh, the the point of the title of the Elmore Leonard book that they didn't use has a lot to do with who her character is and what's going to happen to her. Right. Um, but no, it's absolutely not the same as the Bridget Fonda character. And actually, Ordell in, in uh, Jackie Brown explains Bridget Fonda's character and where she came from. And right. That. That's all I know. There was there were a lot of liberties taken. They were loosely adapted. And, and you might be right, but to me, as someone who's never read Elmore Leonard, I just think I, I have to connect the dots. On my own, and I'm I'm using my typical eh, forget source material approach. I'm just going on on what I have. Oh, yeah, that's what I would too. Because they're so far apart in time, and, and well, they are really far apart in time. So. And, and one of the things I like about watching Jackie Browning again, I think that when when we get to Robert De Niro's to Lou, is it Lewis? Lewis, yep. Uh, yeah, when we get to Lewis Gara, when we get to him there, he's been in he's been inside for four years, I think, for bank robbery or something. Is it four years? And I. And I get the sense that he's probably been in and out and in and out and in and out of of uh, prison, unless he's been in for that whole time. But I can't imagine that. Well, he's presumably been uh, doing jobs with with Odell, Odell. like they're, right. they're they're trusted companions. And and by the way, that's another aspect of their kind of tragic downfall is Odell kills him. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, and and you know how loyal he is and how close they are too. And that's where most deaf. And John Hawk's chemistry, I just found so affecting. Like, I, those guys were so good together. And most, you know, you can also kind of see the seeds in what happens to most Depp's character over the course of Life of Crime. Yeah. Of this ruthlessness <laughs> that, is, that is in full, full effect with Sam Jackson's character in Jackie Brown. You can sort of see him becoming increasingly ruthless and willing to go around behind Ordell's back to kill Mickey, to kill Jennifer Aniston. It really is Phantom Menace. Right, right. Uh, you, you definitely see that, and you see that when he's sitting there talking to her, uh, you know, on the beach, and they're having that "oh yeah" conversation. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so does Aniston's character in the books? Obviously, does she die in the interim, or does they just break? Well, up? that's the thing is we don't know, but whatever for whatever reason, reason, I mean, actually, yeah, we don't. I'm sure maybe she is in the books, but from my perspective, for whatever reason. It's someone that he's in love with over the course of Life of Crime. Life of Crime is clearly about them connecting, having a relationship. Presumably that relationship is going to go on. They're going to go on the heist together to kidnap Melanie. Um, but for whatever reason, she's not around by the time we get to Jackie Brown. Over the course of the 20 years, he's lost her. I guess I'm just curious yeah. if he's, she's why he's in jail in that. Yeah, well, don't know. You know, I don't even care to speculate. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like for me along the lines of well, whatever happened to Karen Allen after Raiders <laughs> of the Lost Ark. You know, well, what are you going to do? So Kate Capshaw shows up. It's not as bad as that, but it's, it's <laughs> I never the, worried about it. It's the sense of well, twenty years have passed, so 
you know, the the tide has come in and come out. Life ebbs and flows, and and he's been pounded down, and he's gotten back up, and he's been pounded down and gotten back up. I mean, where Jennifer Aniston's character ends up when we get to Jackie Brown isn't really. When I watch Jackie Brown, and which which I did again today, doesn't necessarily matter to me because I like Lewis so much, and I like what happens with him. And why that relationship works so much in life after crime, uh, life of crime. You can also see too how uh, I mean, Dingus, you did mention there's something feral, and I think he can put it on as an act. But it seems like the default state for Lewis is to kind of be submissive, and in a way, yeah. not submissive, but in a way, that opening scene when we first meet him and he gets robbed in the bathroom that says a lot about his character. You know, he gets robbed and he kind of goes out to Ordell with his tail between his legs. He's like, hey, look what just happened to me. And Ordell's the one who sort of resolves it for him uh, and encourages, tells him what to do and how to get around this. Uh, he, you know, he, and he clearly has ideals, but he... Well, he, he stands seems, up to him over the fingers. Well, right, right. And that's what I'm saying is he clearly has ordeals, but he's going to get his ass kicked. He, he gets mugged by a tough guy who flashes a switchblade and he hands over his money and then sheepishly walks away. You know, he's uh, he's the kind of guy who it looks like will get beat down by life at, at certain times. You know, you, you can right. see that as part of his character development there. Yeah, you know, that's that's kind of awesome. I mean, there's a little bit of mice and men there when you look at it. That yeah. Way. yeah. Um, uh, so let, let's then talk about uh, how do you guys feel about the fact that in a way that it's not very – I mean – there are no violent denouements. There's no. Sh- I mean, there's w- kind of a shootout, but there, there's no. There's no rape. There's no ransom. I mean, they, these things are all sort of. They're they're kind of faint in this direction. Um, but in the end, it could almost be like a sitcom in a way. Yeah. Like there's, there could almost be a freeze frame at the end. Uh, how do you feel about the fact that it's not terribly dark or mean spirited? Well, I like because it was a character based resolution. Mm-hmm. Like she, it's all about the innocent character getting. Her vengeance, I guess, kind of. It's kind of like the other woman, basically, and it's like. (laughs) (laughs) Who who runs into the glass at the end? (laughs) Well, Uh, it really is. I mean, that's it. Really, is like the bad guys are uh, Isla Fisher and Tim Robbins, and they both get their comeuppance. Yeah, they both get nailed. Yeah, and so it ends with like that's the thing about source materials. Like, I just kind of assume from the end of this that everything sort of worked out for those characters. And like the John Hawks character, like she really did like him. Cause that was just how I got the sense from how they were acting towards each other. Like they're not playing this, the scenes as if Jackie Brown's the certain future. It's right. just sort of a movie. And like, I'm kind of doing what Tom usually does. But I saw it as like a happy ending. Ah, it was cute. It was a cute ending. Well, no, no, you're absolutely right, and it's, it's I think supposed to be that way. Dingus, explain to me why when the movie ended and you saw it said based on the Elmore Leonard novel The Switch, why well, you went, oh, what, what was that reaction about? Um, because of, because of the final moment at the end. I like that. I like that moment. Explain it. Because the title makes sense. Yeah, because the, because the title is so you know there there's a couple of things that we've we've seen lately where uh, where you're like why did why why did they bother to change it um, you know I can totally understand changing Rum Punch to Jackie Brown I would much rather watch a movie called Jackie Brown well and also something. just because of how I think Jackie Brown is so much centered on Pam Greer's character I'm guessing the Elmore Leonard thing is more like generous with its characters and its lovable thugs and yeah. stuff like that. But uh, Jackie Brown, by the way, in Rum Punch is named Jackie Burke. Like she's not even a, oh, a black what? woman. Yeah, that's not her name in, in the Elmore Leonard novel. Um, 
But it's huh. that movie is so clearly in love with her, and you, yeah. and, you, and you watch the beginning of it, and it's just her walking, and it's that it's that that song that Tom played at the beginning of the podcast, and it's just so clearly a love letter to her, and 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 Quentin Tarantino will linger on her walking out of you know walking toward uh, is it Robert Forster, yep. um, and he'll just wait for her to walk all the way while she's going to to the guy who sprung her bail, and and he will wait. And he will wait and wait and wait, and that's why he calls that the movie that. Now, um, and the other the other thing I would think of is, and you're not going to like this, Tom, but um, uh, all you need is kill being turned into Edge of Tomorrow. I, I can't think of what you would do with either of those titles if you're going to try to sell a movie. Um, and I don't know why you would change something from the switch to Life of Crime. I mean, Life of Crime sounds a little more gritty than this movie. Um, so have when you, you watch the, it, real quick, have you seen the poster dingus for this movie? No. Totally makes it look like a wacky comedy. Oh, really? Yeah. There's like a uh, yeah, the there's title. a car there's a car trunk with like Jennifer Aniston's legs sticking out of it, and then there are those inset pictures of the cast members. And for the most part, they look kind of like hapless or wacky, or like a Cohen Brothers. <laughs> it does look like, Early like yeah, like a light Cohen Brothers kind of thing. They're totally trying to sell it as like a, a light-hearted, wacky romp. Yeah, it's a really unevocative title. Yeah. And well, really. I, I just love it because of that last moment where they're all waiting for her. But the other title is too spoilery. Well, no, well, so explain that, Dingus. Explain that that moment because I loved what you said because I didn't even notice there, on a, at a couple of levels why. Why is the switch an appropriate title? I don't know what I said. What did I say? <laughs> I thought I said it. I know it's terrible. Dingus needs to understand. You take notes when you talk, Dingus. No, I can't That's do that. that. So, uh, well, of course, it's called the switch because the overall progression of the movie is they take Jennifer Aniston uh, hostage for ransom, and then at the end they realize, oh wait, that's not going to work. He's not into her. Oh, we're going to swap this out and take Isla Fisher. And am I saying her name right, by the way? Isla? Yeah, I, I think so. I'd prefer your I prefer your pronunciation to Isla, as I said earlier. Well, Aniston switches maids. We'll just call her Mrs. Borat. Has that? <laughs> Uh, they're going to take her prisoner. Oh, and, and so, yeah, so it's the switch for who the hostages are. But as Dingus pointed out, and I can't believe you don't remember this, part of my take on Life of Crime is it's a story about how a man finds a cool hat and wears it. Like that's oh. one level. But it's also about how his buddy gets a cool switchblade out of the deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at the very end, most Def pops open the switchblade. Um, I forgot saying that. Yeah. yeah. So there's the switchblade and the uh, and the switch between who the hostages are. Oh, so it's like a rover. Kelly Wand, <laughs> you watch your mouth. Something like that movie. Watch yeah. your mouth. Movie. They're not going to make me bleep you again. I'll do it. So, uh, so Tom, does the lightness of the end bother you, or does it just make no. it? No, because it is it's like it's a prequel. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't. You know, it, it's kind of. Uh, it, a, a tragedy becomes more tragic if you see the good things that have happened to the to the people in the past. Like uh-huh. if they have a longer fall from grace. And I feel like this is showing us what kind of cool, likable people Ordell and Lewis were before they were undone by their tragic flaws. And yeah. this, in a way, is them predating their their tragic flaws. Like in Jackie Brown, I think you could say uh, Ordell's tragic flaw obviously is, is is greed, but Lewis's tragic flaw is his loyalty. Uh, and you can see it growing in both of them. And his and, dumbness. And, and his dumbness, right, exactly. Like, Lewis really is thick in, mm. in, in Jackie Brown. Here, he... He's less dumb in this. He's less dumb, but yeah, he's a, he's like a little bit younger. I mean, well, he's, he's younger. Charming. He's charming, yeah. 
But he also has Which hope. I mean, there's a yeah. sense of hope about him, I think. And, and so that lightness doesn't bother me at all, and I found it just really engaging because, you know, these are characters I'm already going to care about in terms of the story told about them in 20 years. So, yeah, I want to see their right of the wages of sin. Yeah. Hacked um, and I also loved, for instance, and, and this is where I think, I think, say the director's name, Daniel Schechter? Yeah, Schechter. Uh, I, I really loved his... Uh, I, I loved how dire things kept seeming like they were going to happen and didn't. And a classic example, this is it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie for where you think what you think is going to happen, what does happen and what doesn't happen is when when Will Forte McGruber is cleaning up the house and putting the the bags into the back of his car and Mark Boone Jr comes up. Just that whole encounter, that whole scene by the way, is just a beautiful centerpiece of this movie. Everything that happens in that scene I love, all the way up to Mark Boone Jr. thinking, damn dog, and, and taking the shot at the dog, and he uh. doesn't hit the dog, and the dog gets away. You know, all these terrible things that could happen and don't happen in that scene, but yet that you think are going to happen, uh, that's the movie right there in a nutshell for me. Uh, and that's part, and, and it's lightness, the way that it navigates around these terrible things happening. You know, this doesn't become Fargo. Nobody gets thrown into a wood chipper. The fact that, that that doesn't happen, that lightness, is part of what I just really liked about it. Yeah. So let me ask this real quick. Um, you, Tom, we both talked about chemistry uh, in this movie, mm-hmm. and I think it's one, it's one of the things that really makes the movie for me and one of the things that really makes the movie for you, but I think it, it makes it for us in different ways. Now, you, you've made it clear that one of the things that's in, sort of strangely endearing about Jennifer Aniston is how she cannot have chemistry with any of, any of her co-stars. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about this here? I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's, I don't like her as much as Kelly, but she was fine. Um, I, the problem, I think, is that she's, of course, a kidnapping victim, and this should be terrifying. Uh, and, and, you know, she even gets, like, there's it's really gross stuff. That scene with Mark Boone where he makes her take her brassiere off. Like, like all of that should be super. Yeah, that's not like it. I know, exactly. All that should be super traumatic. And I think it, partly the movie doesn't want it to be that way. And so she's obviously not trying to sell it that way. Um, but I, I do feel the lightness of her relationship to John Hawks is a little forced. And I don't necessarily blame her for that. I think that's part of what the movie wants to do. Um, and I don't dislike Jennifer Aniston. Um, so I liked watching her, and I love watching John Hawks do pretty much anything. So I guess I would say I think it was fine. It's, it's better than her chemistry with, say, Gerard Butler or Clive Owen or... Uh, the other people she gets paired with in romantic comedies. Um, but I still wouldn't mind if they'd cast someone else. Okay. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say about that, because at one point I wondered, number one, is she too hot for this particular part? And number two, who do you think – do you have an idea of who else they might have cast? Uh, just a good actress. <laughs> I mean, a really good actress. And not to say she's a bad one, but when she does that great line, I've already seen you with both of my eyes. I, I love that line. I love that bit of writing, but I can't help but look at that and think, oh, yeah, she's that's like so- something she might say on Friends. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we talk she's about... She, she's fine, but we, we talk Tim about like, like gravity. She's and, and the stuff with Tim Robbins, by the way, so caricature, like so kind of broad. Tim Robbins is such the the hapless villain in this, in a way. Um, so it doesn't. That's okay. No, no, it's fine. And it, again, it's part of the tone the movie is going for. 
Um, and she's fine doing that. It's like it's like horrible bosses. This is just broad comedy stuff. Um, so even that stuff at the end where he's like, "You've changed. Something's changed about you." Where the two of them are sitting there. It's a good That's- scene. It's a good scene. But imagine it with someone like. I, I don't know, Jennifer Lawrence or uh, Saoirse Ronan or uh, who's somebody else who would play a trophy wife. Um, Saoirse Ronan is way too young for that. Oh, yeah. Eh, they could put makeup on her, like CG. <laughs> who's someone else who would play a good trophy wife? I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Marissa I, Tomei. All right, Marissa Tomei. Fair like enough. Im- imagine if Marissa Tomei, like an actress with that amount of, of weight and that, that sort of level of commitment, like what a different kind of movie it would have been. Uh, uh, definitely. I mean, the uh, Marissa Tomei, I think, would shift the weight considerably. That's yeah. True. But but she's fine. Again, I think the movie wanted to be light. Um, it, it didn't want to be super heavy. And, and, and her chemistry with John Hawks, and partly John Hawks is just so good, uh, it, it didn't bother me. I didn't feel like it was an issue like I did in, in other romantic comedies she's been in. But but you, you're with Kelly Wandingus and that you really thought like that was a big part of what made it work for you? Well, Kelly Wan, do you think that that's what you thought? Well, Kelly Wan said he really liked her chemistry with John Hawks. Didn't you say that, Kelly Wan? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Tim Robbins. Uh, I think her chemistry with John Hawks is what makes the movie for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I kind of thought that by the time I saw the, the scene where they're sitting on the couch together uh, and they have that beautiful moment where they're sitting there and their hands touch and she finally says, okay, I'm ready to go home now. And then you kind of have that come back around in the very last scene of the movie where you believe I, I believe that last scene because of the scene on the couch mm-hmm. and then I started thinking about it because I had already, I had talked about that with um, uh, with uh, a friend of ours who we watched the movie with and I was like why do, why does why does their chemistry work together so well and I think it works together so well because John Hawks early on in the movie lays the groundwork so well um, and it's kind of unfair because most of the work that he he's doing most of the work and she's in a mask. Uh, so she's not going to be able to do a whole lot of expressing. But then again, we've already complained about the fact that uh, Jennifer Aston's best when she doesn't have to express a whole lot. Um, so she's in a mask. So she's using her body instead of her face, which is an old sort of advanced theater technique of getting an actor to learn how to act. Put a mask on them and make them to act beyond the mask. Uh, so she's using her body, she's using her head, she's she's moving around in different ways, she's moving her mouth because that's all you can see, and then one eye. It's like this sort of acting class for her to sort of break out of her mold. Uh, but John Hawks, and the way the character is laid out, lays the groundwork for that. And like From the moment he's leading her up the stairs and he's careful with her, he's like, you have three more steps to get up the stairs when they're first leading her into the room. And uh, and then he's like, I'll, I'll take care of your foot in a minute. Uh, it, and and John Hawks is just – he has such a great bit of empathy with her, and he creates this wonderful bond with her so that when the mask comes off and she sees the Nazi stuff and she's like – and he's like, you don't like history, uh, he just – he creates this this connection between the two of them that I think sustains with the whole movie, and – once we get to that couch, I just get this sense of chemistry between the two of them that I don't think I've ever seen with her and another actor before. Um, and I think really works for this particular role because I think when you look at her, I'm like, well, why, why is Tim Robbins leaving her? Is she some sort of cold fish? What's going on? And I think she's confused about her own emotions. And John Hawks, they, the two of them make this beautiful connection. And I just, I love the chemistry that they 
that they eventually find. And I don't think I've ever seen it in a, in another movie of hers. Here's a, here's sort of more uh, support for the case you're making there, Dingus. The scene where she's dropping her son off and she's saying, you know what, let's have a real talk. Like, yeah, I would like that. That was like, oh, my God, this is not work. She cannot convincingly act as if she's this kid's mother to save her life. Oh like God, that. you're so right. All I could think of is that is, is that this kid is her stepson, and she just met him yesterday. Right, <laughs> right. I'm your dad's new girlfriend. Yeah. Let's talk. Right. Okay. Right. Damn it, Tom. Why'd you have to bring that up? Jerk? Well, but no, you're right. I mean, you're right though. Her and John Hawks are so good. But thing is, I would also say uh, John Hawks is the same way. Like. With Mark Boone Jr. and and with most deaf, yeah, uh, yeah. the guy's just uh, as an actor, he's almost magical. I mean, he's he's just fantastic for his range and his and his ability to connect with people. Um, just imagine he's the same dude in Martha Marcy Marlene yeah. and in Winter's Bone. Good yeah. lord! Yeah, yeah. Why um, isn't this guy in Mount Rushmore? He's I, I God, I love him so much, and I'm just I love the way he makes a connection with her on that couch. Do you do you know why he's like not in more stuff, Dingus. I have no idea. I uh, he is. I, mean, I don't know this for sure, but he's not a pretty person, and that's part of what I love about him. Uh, but John Hawks is is never going to play a superhero. He's never going to be like a male lead. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a, in a. You know, I don't say this in a gay way, but I think he's a beautiful man. Yeah. Like the lines on his face, and and almost like like Vincent Gallo is like a male model. Like he's that kind of beautiful man. Like almost so ugly, he's attractive kind of thing. John Hawks has that kind of thing going where he's not a typical leading man because he's not pretty, but man, he is so striking, like almost in a Mads Mikkelsen kind of way. Yeah. Look, like you look at him and you're not sure, is that guy ugly or exactly? Ugly hot. Yeah, but John Hawks' face, just the, the, the lines on it and the, the lines around his eyes and just that kind of mop of hair and he's, he's a, a really striking guy, but he's just not pretty. And I think that's a huge part of his selling value. Selling value. I mean, I think that's a huge part of what he brings to his parts is that he looks like a real person. You know, you put him in Winter's Bone, and he's absolutely believable playing Teardrop. You, you yes. know, in, in, with this this weird white trash sex cult, he looks like a guy who could be the charismatic leader of it. And Martha Marcy May Marlene um, in 1978, Detroit, a small time thug. Yeah, he looks so incredibly authentic. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I guess the the simple way to say it is he's a character actor. Uh, well, why does Tim Robbins get to play get to be a star in Shawshank Redemption? Because he's Tim taller? Robbins. Is, yeah, he's a tall, good looking man, fella. Tim Robbins, like, look, think of Tim Robbins. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, what's hot and what's not hot? But right. I, I, Tim Robbins does. He's, he's got he got the, Sarandon. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Dingus. <laughs> okay. There you go. Um, but but, but those yeah. character actors, they have way longer careers, too. Like they have the, way longer careers, and they do amazing things. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman, also not a hot dude. And good right. Lord, is there anybody – I mean, you know, John Hawks, I think, is going to have a career like Philip Seymour Hoffman's, and he's just done some amazing stuff, and people are recognizing him. He Like, uh, uh, what was that, that – HBO cowboy thing. Um, Dead government with Timothy Oliphant. Detective. Oh, justified. Uh, oh, Deadwood. Deadwood. Right, right, right. It wasn't See, he? Elmore Leonard. He he had a you know that was his career for a long time as being the supporting character on Deadwood and oh. you, you know he he's got a great fantastic career and I think he's going to do some amazing stuff as a kind of a character actor. Uh, did you did either of you see that sex therapist thing he did? The oh session. God! Oh God! Yeah, with uh, Helen. You did Hunt. see it? Yeah. No, I didn't see it. No, I saw it. It was terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was play. It was like a. 
was kind of supposed to be a comedic role for him, I thought. It really didn't work. Yeah, don't don't the thing. Yeah, yeah. Um The sessions, yeah, right. Oh, the sessions, said that, right. Yeah. I'm sorry, brother. I just didn't know if if is where that fits on his career trajectory. That's it, yeah. That's because as a character uh, director, I hope he stays with us. Because think it's just, it. skip the sessions. Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kelly, what? How did you feel about MacGruber? Uh, maybe it's my Midwest upbringing, but I only drill holes in my wall when I'm gonna fuck the wall. One, two, three. Not only you and me got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between. One, two, three. Beat a point every day, down with three peaks. First of all, MacGruber was Will Forte. <laughs> the Nazi guy was Mark Boone Jr. Wait, what do you mean? MacGruber didn't drill holes in the wall. Will Forte did not drill holes in any wall. Don't you like uh, history? Wait, he used the cigarettes to drill it? <laughs> I don't know. So, what? so your dad fought in the war, but which side? <laughs> and I also just want to say, I love... It's so rare, because we saw Into the Storm, and this was terrible in that. It's so rare when you see someone compliment someone else's field dressing, and it actually looks good. <laughs> Although we didn't see him really do it. He was just like putting... That's true. It, it, was not a non, it was not a non-faked physical gesture. It's a good point. He didn't actually learn to bandage your foot. Yeah. And then she's like, wow, how'd you learn that? That's another great thing. I mean, we learn about, I don't think that it's mentioned in Jackie Brown, but we learned that, uh, that Lewis was a, is a Vietnam vet. Yeah, we didn't know that. So. In this? Yeah, because when he says uh, he, he was in the Navy and he was the one getting, I mean, I presume that how would else, how would in 1978 someone have been wounded in the Navy? <laughs> Training exercises? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Speaking no, of being injured in training exercises, Dingus, what, what's this week's 3x3? Three three? Uh, <laughs> Speaking of things you get shaved for. <laughs> Good point. Thank See? you, Billy One. Uh, this week's 3x3 three three is your uh, top three favorite moments of shaving in movies. I can't wait to pull out my 3x3 uh, three three, uh, badge for this one. The way a oh, razor good. pulls out the hairs. The three by three cop is in effect. Oh boy, I'm on duty and I am not going to be taking any gusts. Mustache. Yeah. Mustache ride from Tom. <laughs> Kelly, well, speaking of mustache rides, why don't you start us off? It's <laughs> your three by three is next week. Oh, how exciting. My number three is okay, you may have to flash your badge for this one already. Right. All right. Because it's a student film. So Martin Scorsese's student film, The Big Shave, where it's just a dude shaving, and then he bleeds all over the place, and it's a thing for Vietnam War. Thing. Is, now, it is, a feature, some... is it a feature-length film? Well, it just goes on as long as a shave goes. So it's like a few minutes. Is this a thing that actually happened, or did you just dream about this? No, I dreamed about it after I saw it. Are you making this up? No, The Big Shave. Go look it up. I'll wait. <laughs> I don't want to look it up. It, are you talking about a short student film, or are you talking about a feature film? Well, it's Martin Scorsese's student film, but it was part of like his anthology film on a Laserdisc, along with uh, Italian-American and a third one, where something else happens. All right. 
But Tom's used Tom's the three by three police has used uh, stuff from ABCs of Death, which is an anthology. So right. I could, yeah, so well, well played. Well, so is this? Uh, what does it have to do with Vietnam? Oh well, because all the bloods like. It's okay. the blood of the soldiers. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and the shaving cream represent oil, except it's white. You know, it's about oil. What's the matter with you? <laughs> You're thinking of uh, the, the Chechnyans, the Russians attacking Chechnya. As we learned from uh, November Man, that was all about oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, guess I should have picked... Uh, no, wait, don't be... Yeah, you should, you, yeah exactly. You picked, you, you picked a, a student movie called The Big Shave. Well yeah, done. It's Martin Scorsese student movie, Dingus. Uh, that's true. It's short upon which uh, Shutter Island was based. I wrote a joke for this uh, topic just now. Will you read it to us, or is that, are you saving that? Uh, it'll be a runner-up. Okay. <laughs> uh, my number th- <laughs> And I'm mainly picking... The- okay, so here's what I did as the 3x3 three three cop. We had a 3x3 three three about... Um, I forget what it was, but it was something like... like Haircuts or changes in hairstyles or Ew. something. Uh, Dingus, do you remember the specific terminology for it? Uh, off the top of my head, no, but you're right. Okay. It was like uh, hair changes in hair. Yeah, so the idea is like when people would shave their beard and cut their hair and stuff. So terminology, what, if you are. What I did for my terminology, that's very good. Can I wonder? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to write that down and maybe use it at a later date. Uh, what I did for mine is just shaving, not like taking off a beard and cutting your hair, like not a drastic change of appearance because shaving is a mundane thing that we all, well, that some people do every day and it's like a boring thing. It's not like where you were homeless like in down and out in Beverly Hills and then you just shave your head and get a haircut and you shave your hobo beard. You know, that's, that's a dramatic change that would be in, in that other three by three. That's so how it gets to go to prom though. Cause all three of my picks are just regular shaving. Nobody's also cutting their hair. Nobody's removing a hobo beard and looking dramatically different. <laughs> so Dingus didn't specify this, but I did. And I'm going to call out anyone who goes a little overboard with this. All right, I did. All right, Kelly, no, no. Oh, well, okay. But the thing is, it's like getting a misdemeanor for like having weed in California or something. As, as the, the thread cop, I don't really have the full force of the law behind it's me. It's an honor. But I could give you – you know what? I'm going to give you a warning and let you go. Maybe. It's like an Indianapolis scar. Um, no, can't. Not a tattoo. Not, I mean, nothing. Like Indianapolis that. tattoo. Is he really shaving jaws? Is he shaving in jaws? Uh, the uh, what's the kid's name? The Kintner boy gets shaved all over those docks. <laughs> Spilled out all over the docks. So anyway, my shaving is just shaving. There's no haircut with it, and nobody loses a hobo beard or a Fu Manchu mustache or anything like that. It's just regular shaving. And my number three pick, and I didn't get to watch it again, but I know Dingus has picked it, so I'm going to let Dingus talk about the shaving scene in Skyfall. Ah, uh, that's my number two, too. Oh, well, Kelly Wan and Dingus, take it away. I just went. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> Dingus, that's got to be one of your three, because you're the one who would not shut up about that scene when we did a Skyfall podcast. Yeah, I apologize. When uh, when Naomi Harris shaves Daniel Craig, Ooh. I... Yeah, I just uh, I almost had to leave the theater and run to the bathroom. I mean, Wait, why were you, Why did you? Have to I got do? something else for you. Oh, because I, I had a I had a, had a big soda as I want to do at theaters. Oh, I had drunk the whole thing, and I just so happened at that moment. I, well, no, it's so 
freaking sexy. Are you kidding? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm glad you picked this one. Obviously, I was going to pick this. It was, this is my number uh, two pick. Um, and it's that Skyfall moment when, when Naomi Harris comes back into his life after, you know, <laughs> shooting him off the train. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, town. I love that movie so much, and I loved it at that moment. Uh, but that that particular thing, and I, you know, I I know a lot of people are like, why does she become men- money penny and but they are just so sexy together. And so, so the quote I would have used from from that Skyfall moment, uh, there's there's actually uh, there's actually a couple of them, but I mean, it, the moment is is where where she says, "Keep still." This is the tricky part, and that's when she has the the straight razor, which which is also known as double edge razor, like a de razor, uh, where she's bringing it right up his Adam's apple or right up under his neck, and she's she's scraping right there. And like Tom, uh, I just chose moments where people are shaving, not where yeah. somebody somebody like uh, uses shaving as an excuse to kill somebody, or where they're changing their whole look, which is kind of what inspired this from most wanted man uh but just where it's where it's people shaving for whatever reason it might not it's for dramatic reasons but it's just shaving it's just a shave of the face and i really wanted to go with straight razor ones because i love them but my the one i was originally going to choose for my number three was crappy uh when i watched it again so the other one is is a different kind of razor but this it sounds like you will not be getting a citation from the three by three police well i I certainly hope so but uh, anyway this one uh the other one is is, uh actually um i think she calls it a uh, uh a cutthroat razor uh when she comes into the room, how, and she says how very traditional. And so the, part of the interplay with him using a cutthroat razor and being traditional and being old-fashioned is this sort of like handover from old to new. So actually, I'm afraid to say I've only seen Skyfall once, and I don't remember this. Do they have S-E-X after the shave? Do we know? No, 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 no. Uh, and that's that's sort of what? the implication of the scene is that they do. Hold on, let, mean, me, let me explain to Kelly on what I just spelled. Kelly on, write, write the letters down and you'll know what it, it spells. Don't hang on, go a little slower. <laughs> do you not remember the ambiguity about that or whether we talked about it? Of course they had sex. James Bond. Oh, Ding, so you, do you agree with Kelly Wand? Uh, I, I choose to think that they did based on what happens next, but the the what happens later in the series between uh, Bond and Money Penny kind of relies on us not knowing the answer to that question. Oh, so the movie's just playing Sam Mendes is just kind of be, being coy with us. I think he's supposed to. I think that he probably. I think the script gives him the mandate to do that. I mean, we're we're the 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 way the series plays out. I mean, this is sort of an origin story to use something you said earlier. Um, the way that. Other things happen is that you're supposed to sort of constantly feel a sense of chemistry between them that develops over the earlier films, even though this is a later film. I think it's very clear that that's what's that's where the scene is leading to, but that's what I hope. Okay. But I don't know that it's explicit about that because of the earlier movies. Does well, um, but yes, it's yes. certainly, I mean, unbelievably sexy because of the way she's shaving him. It's just a, a fucking amazing. I'm sorry, freaking amazing moment. Especially when she does that, this is the tricky part, and she just drags the razor right up over his Adam's apple. It's just so beautiful. Um, did um, Agent Scully and Agent uh, – what the hell is his name? Mulder. Mulder. Did they ever have sex? <laughs> no, they're just colleagues. Okay. I can't believe you've just dragged 
uh, Skyfall into X Files. Yeah, that is not, well yeah, done. The FBI is the same as Secret Service. The Secret Service. The Secret Service. Did James Bond work for the Secret Service, Kelly Wand? The the people who are responsible to prevent counterfeiting and assassinations. Works for Impossible yeah, Mission. It's not the Secret Service, Kelly Wand. You're thinking of. You're thinking of. Uh, I am fuck. You're thinking of Wild Wild West. That's the Secret Service. I usually am, but there was a scene in Skyfall where they okay they don't have sex after that, but she circumcises them. The razor. No. No. All right. You're going to have to use your top favorite uh, circumcisions for that. Dingus, what's your number three favorite? Uh, so we know your number two is Skyfall. What's your number three favorite shaving scene? All right. My number three favorite uh, shaving scene. Let me see if I have a quote from it. Uh, here's, uh, here's, here's the quote that begins the part of the shaving sequence. Um, Empire Strikes Back when she's thawing him out. You better not have. You better not have stolen mine. I didn't think you've seen the movie. After Hours. No, I. Uh, you. This is a movie we uh, we both have seen. Uh, I know absolutely we have. Uh, so the character says, and then the character uh, is talking to. What is it, Kelly? Is it Edge of Tomorrow? No. Um, so the character says, <laughs> and then the character coming out of the stall says, "You're about to fire me," and the guy goes. Oh. Oh, it's uh, Margin Call. It is absolutely Margin Call. And it's Simon, Simon Baker uh, shaving right there in the bathroom. And I love the way he so carefully shaves. It's not like a plastic, like disposable plastic razor, but it's one of those more metal ones. So it's clear that either they have really nice razors sitting out there in the executive washroom or he's brought this in. And he's he's just hanging out. And he's careful to shave. He's a very, it's not like one of these, like, I'm just going to do this and then wipe off my face. Because at first I thought that, but then he actually goes over his chin. But I just love the way he's talking to that kid who comes out of the stall, kid who's been crying in there, and the way he... And the way he says his lines, that that which I interpret as "you all right," but it's like Aww, as he's shaving his, and he just couldn't kill it. And, the, and then finally, the kid says, "This is all I ever wanted to do." And and Simon Baker, as he's shaving, is like, "Well, I love that. I love that so much." So yeah, Margin calls my number three. Kelly Wand, uh, ask Dingus about a movie called Something New. Dingus, what about the movie Tom just whispered to me? Something new is that the one with Melanie Griffith? Or no, that's, that's, my, that's my number ten. Uh, like, Something like, new is this totally frothy romantic comedy with uh, I forget who the black woman Paul is. Paul Rudd and Amy Poehler. No, Sonal Sonalitham. Uh is in it with Simon Baker, and it's a kind of a fish out of water. Well, not, like all romantic comedies are like an, an unlikely pair, and Dingus likes it because he was so attracted to Simon Baker. Yeah, and he returned all of my calls after. <laughs> Being a wa- out of water if you're a fish isn't romantic, though. Uh, Dingus, should Kelly Wan see something new? Uh, no, he should probably see something borrowed. <laughs> but it really is like uh, something new, Kelly Wan, is the one I'd of the movies that uh, they came together as making fun of. It's like that kind of thing. Is that the one with Mila Kunis? No, yeah, so the, this woman, Miss Simon Lethris, whatever her name is. Sanaa Latham, Sanaa. Sanaa Latham. Is, which, is uh, the, which is the capital of Yemen. What? No. She's uh, named after the capital of Yemen. I don't know why I know that, but I do. You're named after the capital of Yemen. Ooh. Uh, so she plays this fairly like upwardly mobile like lawyer, and she hires a dude to landscape her backyard. 
Uh, and so overcomes Simon Baker. And <laughs> he has an awesome, he, he has an awesome Jeep with no roof on it and a, and a dog. Labrador retriever. Yeah, and a cool dog. And he's working on her backyard and she falls in love with him. And it's really wacky because he's a white guy and she's kind of black and a little uptight and he's super earthy and like, and like grounded and he teaches her to just relax and love life. I can relate to the earth. <laughs> what capital was I named after, coach? Tyler, we know your number two pick is Skyfall. Yeah, disappointing. My number two pick is a terrible, I don't know about a terrible movie. A lot of people liked it. But I love this scene in this movie. So, okay, I'm going to give you guys a setup. Imagine uh, it's after World War II and all these <laughs> Hang on. Go too fast. Okay, I know. <laughs> that, that alone is going to take me a couple of minutes. <laughs> This is okay. history here. After these these Nazi war criminals uh, have gone to ground, and they, a lot of them have just vanished. And one of them is suspected. They suspect it's during the Cold War that he's working as a doctor, and that he used to run experiments on Jews in, in, in concentration camps. He's working as a doctor in East Berlin. So naturally, uh, Israel wants to bring him to justice. So they hire Mossad agents to go underground in. To, to pose as, as people who live in East Berlin and to kidnap him and then bring him back to Israel where he'll, he'll stand trial for war crimes. So these three people, Jessica Chastain, uh, Martin Sokas, and Sam Worthington, they're Mossad <laughs> agents who live in East Germany and they're going to capture this Nazi war criminal. And they create this elaborate heist that involves, no joke, while he's gynecologically examining Jessica Chastain, uh. she wraps her thighs around his neck and, and, and stabs him in the neck with a syringe um, that knocks him out. And Still course, interested. <laughs> Good on that date. Yeah, I wish. And then she calls in the nurse, and she's like, oh, he just fainted. He had a heart attack. Call the ambulance. So she calls the ambulance, but meanwhile, Martin Sokas and Sam Worthington have hijacked the lines, and they're like, yes, we'll bring an ambulance right over. And they get in a fake ambulance, and they pull up, and then they, they strap the doctor to a gurney and they put him in the ambulance and they're going to drive. They're going to escape with his body across the border into uh, West Berlin and then fly him out to Israel. However, something goes wrong. So they have to hide with him in East Berlin and wait until Mossad uh, establishes contact with them again to figure out how to extract this captured Nazi war criminal. So this is the movie The Debt. Uh, and – over the course of of keeping this guy captured in their safe house, um, they have to, you know, feed him. They can't just let him die. And one of the things that they do, specifically Jessica Chastain does, is she shaves him. And there's a really good scene where he realizes that he's been captured and they're not going to kill him. And he is taunting her while she shaves him with a straight razor. And he is saying things like, and they know he was this, 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 uh, famous guy who committed atro medical atrocities on Jews in concentration camps, and he's saying things to her like, uh, you, you won't kill me. You know, Jews don't know how to kill. They only know how to die. Uh, and, and in a normal movie, like, she would totally cut his throat right there, but nope, she's super disciplined, and she's just super hard-ass, and she just shaves him. Um, so the shaving scene in The Debt, which, which turns into a really terrible movie uh, after this historical bit, it flashes forward into time, um, has a, a cool shaving. Like I did with the IMDb. Exactly. There is kind of time travel involved. Uh, Wait, why? Do you remember who plays the older version? That's what I was going to say. Yeah, so the older Jessica Chastain, get this, Helen Mirren. Oh, mm. wow. So far, so good, right? Yeah. The older... Um, Olivier. No, dead gummit. Who's the older Martin Sokas? Uh, On Sido. 
No, because the Sam Worthington one is ridiculous. The older Sam Worthington is uh, Tom Wilkinson. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, really? Sam Worthington wishes. Yeah, took a few acting classes. <laughs> uh, and the oh, the oh, oh, this is awesome. The older uh, Martin Circus is uh, Kieran Hines. You guys know oh. that is he was in uh, yeah, Game of Thrones. course. Tinker yeah, I love uh, yeah, yeah, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Yeah, uh, that's that's the only decent match. Um, Although Helen Mirren and Jessica Chastain is actually a pretty good one. They do this thing where when the guy finally escapes and it's about like what happens to him and they cover it up, uh, he slashes her face. So yeah. she's supposed to be scarred for the rest of her life, but Helen Mirren is way too hot for them to mark her up, so they just put a little discreet scar on her. Um, Wait, why would they call an ambulance if they're already at the hospital? Well, they're not. They're at a gynecologist's office. He's not That's at the hospital. hospital. No, I don't. You don't. Uh, not in East Berlin, apparently, during the Cold War. That's across town. It's like a private practice, Kelly. One. Have you ever been in the gynecologists? Uh, <laughs> That's a trick question. Only in West Berlin. <laughs> All right. So the debt is my number two. <laughs> Once the wall came down. <laughs> yeah. Unrelated. Dingus, Dingus's number two is Skyfall. So Kelly Wand. Uh, so far, no calls for the three by three police yet. Kelly Wand, which uh, number one pick? About to. All right. Let me get my badge ready, and I'm gonna. Just I'm gonna. It. Kelly Wand, I'm actually undoing the snap on my holster, just so uh, you know. That's not what that means. This oh, could be sorry. a close shave. Uh, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to do a quote from it. Hey, uh, guys, look out. It's uh, getting a close encounter of the third kind over here. Uh, over. I don't yeah, know. That's a shave. That's, that's a fair point. <laughs> See, because the aliens use the shaving cream to give him directions. He's not dramatically changing his look. It's just a mundane shaving scene. So, Kelly Wan, you've escaped being chastised by the 3x3 police. Have I escaped being Jessica chastised? It's not her last name. I don't know how to say it. Kelly Wan, I'm going to chastise you. I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> Tom's about to wrap his legs around you and stick the needle of the 3x3 into your neck. They also sent him a pillowcase to show him where the volcano is, too. And, mash, and mashed potatoes. Oh, no, that's different. <laughs> they do. He does the thing with mashed potatoes. That's too easy. By then, he already knows the message. He's just goofing around, I think. So you guys think I'm funny for thinking that uh, Veronica Cartwright is, is hot, was hot. Um, it's cute. But you have style points. Okay. How do you feel about me thinking that Terry Gar is just so freaking adorable? Oh, for fuck me? yeah. Really? Okay, good. That's not weird? She, no, she's fucking okay. rocking. Young Frankenstein? Roland Zahay? Come on. Yeah, I know. I know. But there she's played up for being sexy, but even like in Close Encounters, right? No, she's sexy all the way through and after Mr. Maul. Okay. I'll put the candle back. Dingus, you're okay with that, right? I would have done Feldman, though. She's <laughs> hilarious. No, she's a babe. She's a honey. She's a tomato. Terry Gar? Good. Right. I was bummed when she leaves Close Encounters because I was like, wait, what? You're leaving? Kind of Melinda Dillon is. Melinda when Dillon's she leaves Close Encounters, like it's a series, she drives off. She decided to go off and do movies. Why don't the aliens want her to come? Because you know they want Melinda. Uh, or no, it's, it's not even Melinda Dillon, it's her son. Melinda Dillon doesn't. Because they get back instantly. We keep the guys, soldiers we need to win the war for 50 years. Fucks about that. They're just pilots, Kelly Wand. They're pilots. That's a good point. They're not real. Yes, Kelly Wand. Uh, any 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 service members in the Air Force, please direct your complaints to Kelly Wand, Torrance, California. I'm on your side, guys. It's aliens. <laughs> They're the ones moving all your shit around. The fucking boat goes in the desert. Come on, that's not me. <laughs> I would do that if I had the resources. It's it's does. Just- 
it's on your faces. Yeah, it's visually striking, isn't it? Yeah. All right, so Kelly Wand, so far, you, yeah, you did not get chastised by the three by three. You you can drive along, Kelly Wand. You're, you're what if remember the part where all the the Indians point upwards together? What if that's when the boat like falls on top of them? It would be a very different kind of movie. When the throck lands on them. Uh, my number one pick. I'm going to give you guys a line. Ready? You're feeling strange, right? Like you're going to faint. You know what's good for that? Shaving. Sometimes when you don't feel normal, doing a normal thing makes you feel normal. This is a weird one, and I distinctly remember this scene from when I was a kid. I, I didn't appreciate it. I, I, there's no way I could have appreciated this movie as a kid. But, man, this scene made an impression on me. Christmas story? Because of that, uh, because of this little moment. So, uh, in the movie Oh God, where, <laughs> where George... What? Yeah. Wait a minute, what? Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I thought you said in the movie Oh God. So, uh, it's based on a novel, and um, <laughs> uh, Car- Carl Reiner directed an adaptation of the novel starring John Denver and George Burns. Um, and the premise is John Denver's just a normal guy. He's a supermarket manager, and God appears to him. Terry Gar again. Exactly. And Terry Gar is so adorable. There's one scene in Oh God, Kelly Wan, because I rewatched it, where Terry Gar. I mean, they're these terrible, like, high-waisted 70s shorts, but they're still really short shorts. And not only that, Kelly Wand, she's got her hair in these two little braided pigtails. Yeah, I remember. Oh, my God, so freaking hot. It's like like Gwyneth Paltrow levels of hot. It's crazily hot. Out of the way, George Burns. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) But in the movie, uh, as George Burns is first appearing to John Denver, first he – he appears as a voice on an intercom, and then he starts talking to him over the radio. But when he first physically meets uh, John Denver, and he's already laid the groundwork, he said, look, I'm God. I need you to help me. I need you to spread the word for me. Uh, and actually, Oh God is good, I think. It, 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 and certain parts of it are dated, but uh, Larry Gelbart wrote it, and you know, he, of oh. course, folks know him from MASH. Oh, um, you're kidding me. I didn't know Larry Gelbart wrote that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it, it clearly is this really cool modern take on the Jewish concept of prophets uh, in, in, in the Old Testament, uh, who are not like the, what we used to think of as prophets. They were just these people who reluctantly were called to, to spread the word about God and often to warn people from doing certain things. They didn't predict the future. Just God came to them and almost to a person. They were like, wait, why are you picking me? I'm not good for this. And, and God would would say, look, you know, you, I'm not picking you because you're super awesome or anything. This is just something that you have to go through, and I need your help. And and the act of being a prophet for so many people in the Old Testament, it wasn't this crazy, like, divine Jesus or Muhammad thing where they stepped forward with this divine certainty and a proclamation. You know, so many prophets were reluctant. Um, you know, Moses stuttered, for instance. And so that that's, I think, a part of, of the Jewish religious consciousness, is that prophets are flawed, normal, oftentimes reluctant people, and that's a lot of what's so good about the movie Oh God, is it's a modern take on this. What if God just appeared to a normal person and said, I need you to help me out and spread the word and tell people things? Um, and and so it's, it, it became a really dopey sequel and then a terrible – it became yeah, a trilogy, actually. Yeah, a little kid, and then Gags reason a motorcycle, and then the third one, he also plays the devil for a rock star. Yeah, all those are terrible. But the first, oh, God, I think is really good. Um, but anyway, so after announcing himself to John Denver, who is incredibly charming, by the way. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, I remember seeing this movie as a kid, and yeah, he's – I mean, I, I kind of – the only memory I have of it is – him being charming and my parents liking him and 
George Burns, who's no, somebody I had no experience with just chomping on a cigar and having no other experience whatsoever. Well, so yeah, a couple of things. Uh, I, I, I don't, the thing with uh, John Denver in this, he really only has to do two things. Uh, he has to act confused, and he has to be completely sincere. <laughs> and, and he does both of those just fine. Like, there's not a lot of range there. Yeah, he has a lot of integrity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's Parts this of kind of inherent integrity about him, even if you don't know that he's John Denver, a musician or whatever, just as, as an actor on screen. Um, so good chemistry. Well, and that's the, the other thing, Kelly Wand, I don't really, like, Dingus, I don't have a frame of reference for George Burns other than what people have told me and maybe specials I saw on TV as a kid. He doesn't, I don't think he ever smokes a cigar in the movie, Dingus, I could be wrong, but he was definitely an inveterate cigar smoker, but I don't think in Oh God He Ever Smokes One. So, what I didn't realize and what's so striking in Oh God, I mean, you talk about John Denver's sincerity, holy cats, George Burns, I mean, it breaks my heart to think about him living for so long and, and just performing and going back to vaudeville, and I don't know anything about it, but whatever his relationship to Gracie Allen must have been, um, what makes you feel bad about that? Well, just to see him and oh god, and think, man, this guy is awesome. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. This guy's sincerity, and he's just this. I mean, you look at a picture of George Burns, and you're like, yeah, he's an old guy, and he was probably good looking in his day, which he was. But you see him acting in a movie like Oh God, and you understand it. To, it you understand it at a wholly different level. Like this guy is really charismatic, and the sincerity that he embodies. He's doing a lot of this kind of Jewish humor about about divinity you know the jews are a lot less uptight about their conception of god than christians and and a lot of that appears in larry galbart's script and i presume is in the novel as well but just seeing george burns channel that like a lot of that is that old style milton burrell going back to vaudeville comedy style but he's cool he's super he's like he's super Grant, cool. if Cary Grant was a, a jewish old man well yeah you know he's smooth there's this kind of suaveness cool to him and yeah. definitely this amazing confidence I mean, it's a, it's really, a, it's a, it's a brilliant stroke of casting. Yeah, he's like how you would see God as. But, and, and the thing, but the thing is, they they play that against type by dressing him in this weird little sailor cap and stuff. But it works. It works, and he's got the thick glasses. Yeah, he's just like you know, he's kind of squinting through them. Like, it goes with the way he's playing God, though, too. Yeah. It's like, I'm not gonna. V- Go through, jump through hoops for you guys. Like, that's kind of the theme of the movie. Well, and that, exactly. It's the theme of the movie. And, and the point of it, too, is God appears to you and di- God appears to different people in different ways. And this right. is just how you're going to see me. You're comfortable with certain images. So you, John Denver, are going to see me this way. <laughs> with an ascot and a sailor hat on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but so when he first appears to John Denver, uh, physically, you know, when John Vender, D- Denver wants to know what he looks like, and God's like, well, we'll see. John Denver is taking a shower, and God starts talking to him, and God says, oh, by the way, I'm here in the room. Get Come out of the shower with me. Um, and, and John Denver <laughs> steps out of the shower. He's there naked, uh, and, and there's George Burns, and it's the first time he's seen him. And John Denver, again, is just plain confused. He's, his confused level is on a continuum from like maybe 4 to 10. And this is at 11. His confused <laughs> level is why is this old man in my bathroom? And that's where George Burns says to him, you know what? Just shave. I'll talk to you while you're shaving. And so George Burns I – mean, I'm sorry. John Denver takes this weird shaving cream out of what looks like a toothpaste tube. I guess that's how they used to have it back then. And just starts shaving. Uh, and I remember as a kid seeing that and thinking – because it was, of course, before I shaved, and thinking, oh, so shaving calms you down. And it's what people do when they're confused or when they're scared or when someone wants to calm them. 
Um, but that scene always tr- struck me, and uh, you know, it, it's an awesome moment because it's when John Denver first sees George Burns, and it's it's the physical reveal of George Burns as God. It's like the opposite of Evan Almighty when Steve Carell grows a beard overnight because he, he's turning into a Noah. Does Morgan Freeman play God in that? Is that yeah. Me? When in doubt, yes. <laughs> Very nice. Um, shaving cream still uh, can come in a tube. I mean, I just started getting some of that now thanks to uh, I know, my girlfriend. I mean, I, there's this awesome shaving cream that you can get. If you use a shaving brush, it's it's so much better. So when you say that, it's so evocative to me, and it's so beautiful, that whole idea. And why does he appear to John Denver? What's the... I, 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 I'm so excited that you brought this up, because I just... I tend to write this off as a as a movie I saw in my childhood and write off George Burns as well. Yeah, yeah it's not. It's a, it's a, it's a very... Uh, in, in, in Not in a sort of a, a turgid sense of the word, but it's a very reverent... Uh, Jewish take on on what prophets were in the Old Testament, um, and that's a predictable third act, right? With the courtroom. And um, yeah, I mean it's Pat Servino is the oh god, yeah, Paul Servino is insufferable. It's playing wow. like an evangelist, and that's another reason that it's also very devoutly Jewish. Is it's totally making fun of the the usual Christian evangelism, yeah, televangelism, yeah, uh, and he gets a stupid comeuppance. Um, but but no, I, and it does some clever stuff. There's a there's a terrible Ricky Gervais movie called The Invention of Lying that also tries to tackle issues of like religion and modern society and what it means. And it's just so kind of smug and obviously from a secular perspective. And I, I just was so turned off by The Invention of Lying and what it tried to say about religion. And I find, oh, God, because uh, I presume I – don't, I don't know if Larry Gelbart was secular or orthodox or whatever, but just – it seemed like it came from a, a, a long Jewish tradition, um, and it's accessible, uh, and it's it, it's not harsh. Like it's not, with the exception of Paul Servino as like the bad guy, um, it's trying to be a very gentle, encouraging, hopeful movie about religion, compared to the kind of sneering that Ricky Gervais does in Invention of Lying. Um, but does an Invention of Lying isn't it like oh, it's a comfort for his his dying mom kind of thing. Like, that's not sneering, is it? No, they do this whole goofy stuff about, I'm going to write the Ten Commandments on pizza. No, it's, I, I find it, uh, yeah, yeah I, I find it sneering, uh, Invention of Lying. Like, Invention of Lying works its way up to that. It's not But you're comparing it to, oh, God. I mean, well, and, and what I'm saying is I think Invention of Lying is what happens when you have uh, someone who's very comfortable with being an atheist, Ricky Gervais, I presume, because he talks yeah. a lot about that in his comedy routine, trying to talk about religion, versus someone like Larry Gelbart, who was raised in a Jewish tradition, talking about religion. It's like the difference between the Cohen brothers talking about religion in A Serious Man and uh, – what's another analog for that? Where it's just someone – or Invention of Lying, again, is another example. Uh, I just find people <laughs> – well, the invention of lying doesn't even understand what lying is. I mean, it's right. it's so un, it's so an unrealized idea. It's a terrible, terrible. Movie. And, and yeah, like a lot of modern Hollywood movies really do sneer at religion, and that's right. Yeah, that's fine. That's their bag. Um, but it's so rare to find a movie like Oh God nowadays, or Serious Man, or The Apostle, that awesome thing with, with Robert Duvall. Um, right. You know, the, the, those those movies are rare and precious to me. So I, I really was delighted to discover that Oh God holds up, and not just as a dopey comedy, but as, as a really affectionate Jewish ex- expression of, of what it means to be a prophet. And Dingus, as for why he picks John Denver, that that's part of 
the act of prophecy in, in the Hebrew scriptures is that, uh, you know, you don't, it, it, Moses didn't know why he was picked. It's not because he was like of noble blood or he was a king or anything. That's the point of prophets is, you know, like, uh, who was, who's the guy who sulked under the, the gourd plant? Was that, was that John? I thought there's a Bible part where it's begat, begat, begat. And it's from Abraham to Moses, like a direct lineage, like exactly what you're. No, but the, the guy in particular isn't told. Uh, well, like, those are those Kelly One. Those aren't those aren't prophets. Those are what are those are like the patriarchs. Those are the right. sort of the, the the founders of a people. The prophets were people in the Old Testament who were were basically charged. Like God would appear to them and say, "You know what? I don't like what your king is doing. So why don't you go tell him to settle the fuck down and really start <laughs> And the prophets like, "Wait, whoa! That guy's a king. Why do you want me to do that? That's silly." And God's like, "You know what? Do it. Just do it." I'm, I'm telling you to do it, and I know it's going to be tough for you, but if you believe in me, if you have faith, you go talk to this king. And like as not, a prophet would get thrown in prison. Um, yeah. Like prophets were people who were just normal people who were tasked with these really difficult callings, um, and a lot of times they were reluctant and didn't want to do it. And I just loved how John Denver was a modern example of that. Uh, uh, but then he comes to the little girl, like no one – He's not satisfied with his outcome for the John Denver mission. So then, in the second movie, this, the second movie is not canon. Oh, <laughs> it's it's part of the apocrypha of the Ogod movies, Kelly Wand. Uh, <laughs> it seems like a weird system to want. Uh, Tom, I, I just want to tell you, I, I love what you're ta- what you're saying about George Burns as a performer. I'm so I, I'm I'm. I'm actually kind of excited to watch oh God now because, uh, and and I, I I'm not I don't I, I I apologize for making this connection now I'm not trying to do something that's trenchant or anything but all I keep thinking about as you talked about his vaudevillian roots and 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 his style of performing that I'm imagining that he was uh, popular for is I I just keep thinking about Joan Rivers right now oh, and how sure, everybody sure. keeps talking about she's she's such a pioneer and she had this this style of comedy and you should have known the groundwork that she laid but she had all these other things going for her and I certainly have no experience in that but for whatever reason when you keep talking about the things that he was able to do as a performer in that movie and and the effect it had on you uh, it just sort of makes me feel like I missed something. Well, and that yeah, people like Joan Rivers. He was a kid. Well, he you know they came up through like radio, for instance. Like that's where they started radio and stage and television at a, at a whole different era uh, into movies. Like these well, are the live guys, performance, how they cut their teeth. I mean, these are the guys who have seen every form of entertainment that we have known throughout history. Who've worked and and, and not just worked in the sense of. They were in a play once on Broadway, like like maybe they took a break from filming a movie, but who who were were basically professional performers in in stage, radio, television, movies, and all of them as they've evolved and as they've changed. Uh, and it's an amazing thing about George Burns, and I suspect a lot of that's also true about Joan, Joan Rivers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the thing, though, is when we were kids. They would just give us these old dudes, and yeah. we just had to figure out who they were. Like George Burns, all right, he's God. Uh, Abe Vigoda, got it. And now we're old, and they just give us kids, so we got fucked twice. <laughs> so everybody's Kellen Lutz. Yeah. You know, yeah, we get Kellen Lutz and Cody Smith. Yeah, thanks. We had to keep up back then, and now we have to dumb ourselves down. <laughs> Things ever for us. All right, before things are over for us, Dingus, why don't you give us your favorite shaving scene? All right. I'm, I'm afraid I have no um, 
quote from this movie because uh, it would be useless to quote from it. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen it, but uh, Tom brought it up in a thread uh, or sort of brought it up in a thread recently in quarter three. And, uh, and it totally reminded me of this, of, it reminded me of this wonderful shaving scene. And the, and the movie is called um, the uh, army of shadows. Uh, and it's a, this 1969 French film. Uh, it was directed by. Uh, I know. It's, I'm sorry. No, I've been told many times to see it, particularly by one of the listeners. So I feel bad that I don't know this. But oh, go ahead. It just came up. So it's an old black and white foreign movie. It's uh, not black. Uh, really black and white. But anyway, it's it's be- it's just this. It's this beautiful film uh, that I that, again I was I was led to watch it because uh, quarter three we used to have. Uh, when uh, we used to have this uh, movie uh, club that we did several years ago, and somebody got us to watch Army of Shadows, and it's this beautiful French movie uh, again from 1969 uh, about the uh, it's a it's about the French Resistance basically, um, uh, directed by uh, this guy named Melville Jean Pierre Melville. Anyway, so there's this great moment where the 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 main dude in the movie. Um, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, Just call him Pierre. All right, his name is not Pierre. Jacques. <laughs> I think his name's Philippe. Um, uh, he's he's been captured by by the uh, the French police. He's been placed in a camp and he and he and taken to Paris and he he escapes from it. He makes this awesome escape, this really cool escape scene with this great sort of time lapse kind of thing that goes on, and he runs down the street after he convinces like a fellow to help him make this escape with this horrible, like, stabbing a guard in the neck moment. Um, and he runs down the street, and it's, it's, it's at night. It's in the dead of night. Uh, and the, the one shop he goes by has a light on, and he, 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 he runs back to it, and it's a barber. He runs in, and the guy kind of, uh, like, sleepily walks up the stairs and puts on his apron and, and gives him a shave. And as the scene develops, it's clear that the guy there, the guy, the Parisian there, understands, even though none of this is ever made explicit, that that the reason that uh, Philippe or Pierre, whoever he is, is in the chair is because he's avoiding whatever that craziness that's got all those sirens that are happening outside. And so he wraps his face up and he gives him a shave, uh, and then he, and then and, and it's a very simple straight razor shave. It doesn't take a whole lot of time, but it's beautiful. And there's all this craziness going on outside, and then uh, and then he stands up, he pays the man. Uh, as as the man puts the straight razor in his coat, which is a really nice little touch, and then he's about to leave the shop, and and the barber then hands him his coat, his overcoat, and takes and takes the escaped prisoner's overcoat from him. Um, and it's I just love this this transition. It's just a normal shave. Nobody gets killed, uh, but it's a normal shave, but in the service of escaping from his his captors. So that's. Is it as good as the scene in Jack Reacher where the the dude at the bus stop gives Tom Cruise a baseball cap? Nothing as good as that. Or as good as the moment in um, whatever movie we saw where the pimp is holding on his hat while he's running away from the van. (laughs) I like that Dingus thought the guy was a pimp. Uh, I thought he was, but maybe he's just a thief in a bathroom. (laughs) All right, Dingus, what do the listeners have for us? All right. uh, Because I've got my badge ready. I'm sure... I, I'm sure they're going to break some of the rules. Let's see how this goes. All right, we're going to start with Paul Weimer. I took shaving to mean face shaving. 
I, I like the cut of his jib. I wasn't quite sure if Dingus or 3 by 3 Cop Tom would accept head shaving. Well, Paul, I, I was looking for leg shaving as well, but fine, you can go with face shaving. Uh, anyway, back to Paul's choices. Number three, in Rio Bravo. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Jeez. How's that? And Angie Dickinson's feathers shaves <laughs> Dean Martin's dude. Angie Dickinson and Dean Martin are in Rio Bravo. Yep, she's shaving his dude. Uh, none too confident of her skill at same, and then offers to shave John Wayne's chance. Oh, my God. Although he's already developing a soft spot for her, oh he my God. wisely declines. <laughs> That's a refractory period. So Feathers shaves dude and offers to shave chance. This is, uh, what, what, you, what, Kelly? This is uh, getting painful to listen to. <laughs> it will only get painfuler. Um, uh, Paul's number two, another uh, one of my runners-up. In North by Northwest, Cary Grant's Roger Thornhill is forced to humorlessly, I'm sorry, humorously use... Uh, Six of one. Kelly. Kelly. Sorry. Uh, use Eva Marie Saint's tiny travel razor in this train station washroom to shave, much to the disconcertion... How would you say that word? Disconcertion of the man I, at the next sink. That's, Remember that? Where he's like he's using this dainty little lady razor. Yeah, anyway. Uh kinda. Is yeah, it in the near the end where he's in the, the lodge, the ski lodge He's he's just in the bathroom and there's a dude next to him and the police are running around and so kind of part of it is that the shaving cream disguises his face and the guy looks at this tiny little it's a comically tiny little razor. Like Mrs. Doubtfire's cake. Kind of. Uh, Number one, this is something I referred to earlier, in The Untouchables, Robert De Niro's Al Capone is established as the boss of bosses, giving orders and running the city of Chicago, all from the comfort of a barber's chair where he is getting a shave. Uh, best regards is always Paul Weimer. Uh, oh. the, the big part of that, that scene, uh, it's a beautifully shot scene from above because you see the high shot that De Palma uses of, of uh, this is me talking now, with, uh, with De Niro in the, in the shaving chair with the, his face totally wrapped up except for the, his nose. And then the, the barber starts to shave him and, and De Niro moves because he's, it's basically giving a press conference to a bunch of reporters. And the guy inadvertently nicks De Niro's face, uh, Al Capone's face. And, and everybody's like, <gasps> and then De Niro lets, lets the shave continue because, you know, no, I think he kills him with a baseball bat at that point. Yeah, then they go to eat, and he kills him with a baseball bat. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, next, we have Greg Ambrose. Hey, guys, sorry I haven't participated in, pers- participated in the 3 by 3 discussions in a while, but I'm usually catching these pos- podcasts well after the write-in period is over, where I just don't have very many good picks. But the funny thing is, I was just thinking about this topic out of the blue not too long ago. I grew up in a single-parent household, and that parent being my mother... I kind of had to work out the whole shaving thing on my own. Turned out okay eventually, but I definitely made some rookie mistakes, so I'm going to dedicate this 3x3 to my shaving ignorance growing up. Thank you, Greg. So, Greg Ambrose, number three, Predator. (laughs) Bill Duke's character kept whipping out that safety razor whenever there was downtime and running it over his face. But he was shaving dry, not cream or gel. This weirded me out as a kid... I didn't know that was the thing people did. (laughs) 
I've since discovered that sometimes you have to make do in a pinch with what you have, but deciding you need a shave in the middle of a jungle while being stalked by a murderous alien still strikes me as an odd choice. I thought the point of that was just that he was so sweaty that the sweat was like shaving cream. Oh. I, I thought it was just right. him trying to be tough, like, I can take a blade against my skin. I don't yeah, because you know who couldn't take that? Rambo in First Blood. He freaked out when they were going to try to shave him without giving him shaving cream. But yet, Bill Duke, he's fine. That, I thought they that happens in Rambo? What? In First Blood. Like, they're, when he gets arrested and the okay. sadistic cops are going to shave him, they're going to uh, – and the, the mean cop is like, yeah, just shave him yeah. dry. And then Rambo freaks out. And then <laughs> it, yeah. it leads to the whole movie. The whole trilogy of movies, in yeah. fact. It's all it's, probably because of shaving. It's not just a trilogy. It's a quadrilogy, Kelly Wan. Did you yeah. get the most recent one? Yeah. So. Plus the Expendables trilogy. That's the same dude. It's the same character, probably. Right. Yeah, so Rambo, basically all that stuff could have been headed off if they had just used uh, shaving cream in the Snoqualmie Police Department or whatever it was that he got arrested in, in wow. the Northwest. I had a friend who uh, made fun of me for dry shaving. I, I mean, because I was, you know, we were like going out uh, like sometime in high school and it's like, I got to shave real quick. And I just dry shaved because what yeah, I know, ew. but then we went to a, a grocery store to pick something up later and he made fun of me in front of the clerk. He's like, look at this guy. He dry shaves. Yeah, my skin is way too sensitive for that. Dingus, you've got obviously lizard skin. It allows you yeah. to do that. The rest of us, uh, if we do that, like me and Rambo, I'm, I'm the same way. If I got arrested for vagrancy and the police tried to dry shave me, I would kill the whole town as well because I couldn't take that. I just, <laughs> he did. I know. That's what well, happened. I, cer- I certainly can't take it anymore. You know who else had to make do with what he had was uh, Predator. Yeah, but he had all these like lasers and ships and bombs. And yeah, but they all had to be portable. He had to bring his portable ladies razor. Oh, laser. Ladies, uh, laser. La- ladies laser. Ladies <laughs> laser. The ladies laser. I did notice none of us has picked like chicks shaving their legs. Yeah, and I really kind of wanted to for that, but then I just love the things I chose. We try to tune that out. What'd you say? Well, as guys, we try to like, yeah, it's already shaven. This part's just makeup. Like, we're not trying to. No, but movies try to use that for, uh, like, sexy effects sometimes. You know, I think in a movie, though, sexier than watching a woman, like, shave her legs is watching her put on her stockings. Yeah. Why have a scene where you're going to show a woman shaving her legs? Uh, You could just show her putting on her stockings. I should have picked Cabin Fever. There's some good shaving in that part. Remember when the chick's shaving her legs in the bath? And then she shaves her skin off? Not into Eli Roth movies. Oh, God. Really? Uh... Greg Ambrose, number two, The Fugitive. <laughs> Wait, Harris, what? Harrison Ford shapes his beard as part of ditching his old identity oh, yeah. in order to make an escape from the police. It had not occurred to me how you go about getting rid of a beard. But, of course, you can't just start hacking at it with a disposable razor, or at least I hope you wouldn't try. He started with scissors and cut it down to a more manageable length before he tried to actually shave it. That was helpful on those rare occasions when I would later decide shaving wasn't worth the effort and wondered what I would look like with a beard. Not much like Harrison Ford, it turns out. He's also a doctor, so... Yeah, good point. He should have had a scalpel. Yeah. Uh, Greg Ambrose, number one, Lethal Weapon 3. <laughs> this one will sound silly, but this movie taught me how to shave correctly. That's the flamethrower one, Tom. You shave with a flamethrower? No, at the beginning, 
Never mind. I'm listening. Murtaugh. Kelly, Ron, uh, move your microphone away from your nostrils when you exhale, please. <laughs> We're getting this from you. <laughs> That's how I'm reacting to what's happening. <laughs> Wait, okay. nostrils are bad. Hang Which on. one is Murtaugh, Kelly? It's the one he's getting too old for this shit. Very good. Uh, Murtaugh walks in on his son trying to shave startling his shaving motion from his neck and shaving up toward the jawline and chin area. Then to the cheeks, Murtaugh says something like, no, no, shave with the grain, and shows him that you start higher on your face, shave downward. And I have been doing the same thing. IMDb tells me this movie came out in 1992, so I was 20. Better late than never, I guess. Mel Gibson's the suicidal one. He should have a razor stick next to it. There's a recurring bit, I think, in a Whit Stillman movie called Barcelona about whether or not you're supposed to shave with or against the grain. Isn't there? Does either of you guys remember that? What's the grain? The the direction that the hairs will fall. Like if you... Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Uh, and who's the guy? Chris Chris Egan? Egan? What's that guy's name? Hey, never mind. All right. Uh, Whit Stillman Barcelona. made a movie called Barcelona and that, that super droll guy who was in one of those uh, cell phone commercial campaigns... Um, Is that Eigeman? Eigeman, yeah, I think it's that. I can't guy. remember. Now that you've said Eigen, I can't remember. But at any rate, there's bits in Barcelona. I think it's a recurring bit where he talks about, you know, do you shave with the grain or against the grain? Uh, and that always, that like like Greg just described with Lethal Weapon, I remember seeing that movie and going, oh, good question. I, I you know, yeah. I hope the movie answers this for me, and I don't recall. Wait, that what's the answer? What if your grain just grows straight out? Well, the. The weird thing is that with uh, it's different with different races of skin. I mean, different skin reacts differently to the to the way you shave. I mean, you can break out if you shave wrong, right? Oh, that's what. Okay, well, I'm obviously doing it wrong. Yeah, I think I'm. What is is white trash? Is white trash a race, Dingus? Because that's what I think I am. It is now. Uh, but I remember getting shaving tips from Miller's Crossing. Actually, it wasn't an actual shaving scene. I just got shaving tips from it. Shave with the high hat. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, Greg says thanks, and he says, Greg, in parentheses, Pogue. So Lethal Weapon, uh, Greg, you just reminded me of Miller's Crossing. Thank you. Next, we have Michael Tigert. Uh, hi, all. First time writing in. So What's his last name? Like Tiger with a T at the end? Tigert? Yeah, T-Y-G-A-R-T, Tigert. I kind of like that. All right, go ahead. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm going to work from serious to silly because I like ending on a lighter note. Number three, I don't know what I don't know what serious or silly means if you're going from three to one. So serious must mean three. Naomi Harris, ah, uh, Michael, very well. Mm. Uh, shaving Daniel Craig in Skyfall. I'm sure this one has been scooped. Uh, yes, indeed. But how can you not include it on a list like this? And why can't I find a barber like that? Well, well put, Michael. Uh, number two for Michael Tigert. Uh, the opening scene of Full Metal Jacket is a montage of dazed-looking young men getting their initial Marine Corps haircuts. I really appreciate <laughs> I really appreciate the look on their faces as they endure this physically painless but somewhat emotionally traumatizing experience. It's definitely an oh-shit moment as they realize that they are officially entering a brand new world and no longer have control over their own lives. I'm issuing Michael a uh, citation for misdemeanor. Three by three misdemeanor. They're in a world of shit. <laughs> and and number, Michael's number one, Steve Carell undergoing a little manscaping <laughs> in... Uh, also not a shave, but a great pick. In 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, this That's chest- a waxing. 
As Michael says, this chest-waxing scene made me wince and laugh at the same time. And before Officer Tom flashes his badge at me... He didn't write that. You just invented that thing. No, it says it right here. And before Officer Tom flashes his badge at me... Or at least he called me the correct title, so Michael... Officer is a rank. And says this is not shaving. It does involve hair removal, which is the whole point of shaving, right? All right, that's it. We're shutting this operation down. Michael, I'm going to need your license registration. I mean, you need to step out of the car, sir. Right over here. Put your hands on the hood. Do you have anything in your pockets I need to know about, Michael? If I search you, I don't want to get stuck by a needle or anything. Or a razor blade. <laughs> exactly right. But, Tom, his so honorable mention is first blood. Ah, very good. Well, real quick, what I love about that Steve Carell scene is it's obviously Steve Carell, a very hairy fella, having them do actual waxing on his body. I mean, I don't, I'm don't. i not a fan of that movie, but man, that scene when you know that Steve Carell is actually getting actual hair yanked out of his furry body, it is kind of wince-inducing. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of commitment there. you got to admire Steve Carell's commitment in that scene. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, so anyway, his honorable mention is first slide. He uh, he can't remember if they actually accomplish any shaving in that. No, they do not. So Mr. So. Stallone flips out before that happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. All right, thank you, Michael. Very nice. He doesn't mind right. being hosed. Rambo, I mean. Oh, I thought you meant uh, Michael. All right. Uh, next, we have Arthur, Jovan, and Jelly. Uh, it will be a close shave as to whether or not my picks for this three by three get scooped. But here goes nothing. Number three, Skyfall. Mm. <laughs> uh, Naomi Harris shaves Daniel Craig while he prepares for a mission. This it's so is- funny. The moment Dingus mentioned the three by three, I know that sort of like flared up like a match being struck in everybody's head. It's like that scene. Oh, that's Skyfall. <laughs> it took me most of the week to come back to it, actually, sadly. Uh, really? So, yeah, I'm not kidding. Uh, I was thinking more about... Uh, 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 Wes Anderson movies and a couple of them. So anyway, uh, so uh, Arthur talks about Skyfall as this scene is fairly sexy. Fairly. Oh, my God. Wow. Look at somebody's underselling uh, sexiness. Um, oh, and number two, Arthur. Well done. Uh, number two is Margin Call. Simon Baker shaves in a public bathroom <laughs> while Penn Badgley pours his heart out to him. Badgley has been told he'll be fired and tells Baker his current job is all he ever wanted to do with his life. Baker's great response to this is simply, why? Dingus, I'll bet you Arthur also thinks that Simon Baker is only fairly sexy. What do you think of that? Uh, if he thinks that, he's dead wrong. Dead wrong. <laughs> and number one, Jumanji. What? what? <laughs> I was hoping that would be the response. <laughs> Double what's. Robin Williams is shaves for the first time after being stuck in the jungle for 26 years, and it does not go well. As a young Kirsten Dunst is eager to point out, there aren't a lot of major movies shot in rural New Hampshire, where I grew up. So when the news came out that this film was being shot locally, there was a great deal of excitement. That excitement turned into joy when we got to see the final product. Seeing locations that you know in movies is always pretty cool, but it's even better when you're a child and those locations feature stampeding rhinoceros. I have no idea if this movie holds up, and frankly, I don't care. But when this topic was announced, all I could picture was Williams emerging from a bathroom with tissue all over his face to staunch the bleeding from various shaving injuries. Thanks for all the laughs, Robin. Rest in peace. Uh, Okay, quick quiz for you. Whichever one of you gets it, wins the game. Name the sequel of Jumanji. 
Zathura. Wow, Kelly Wand, why the heck would you know that? Wow. Is, is that, that really what it's called? Zathura? Yeah. yeah. That's a sequel. Yes, it is. That's a sequel to Jumanji? Yeah. I thought it was just the same. I thought it was a ripoff of it. Well, it's in the same universe. No, it's not. It is? It's totally the sequel to Jumanji, isn't it? I think it? you're full of shit. I think you're just talking. Wait, well, then why would you answer that if it's not... Why? Wait a minute. You're the one who said it was the sequel. I play the man, not the game. <laughs> is it really called Zathura? Yeah. Zathura, the advent the space... I guess we, we have a friend who worked on that. Our, our, our friend who posts the Shield Wolf, if, I, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. But yeah, it's the sequel to Jumanji. Uh, you know what? Here's my homework for you. Go watch. Crazy. Go watch both movies, and then get back to me. But that doesn't make any sense, though, because there's a twist in Zathura that would make nothing in Jumanji make, make oh, sense. You've already seen them, all right. Well, you've already done more work on this uh, than I've done, so fair. One said space adventure in the title, so I had to watch it. Like Gravity, Gravity had that in the title too. Or 2001. Yeah, space adventure. <laughs> Wasn't that what you were playing on Steam? What? I guess it was Planetary Adventure. I, what, what what video game nerd stuff are you trying to introduce into this podcast? I'm trying right? to play to your zone. What just happened? Space. Space is your zone. I'm trying to. I'm I thought that Zathura was the sequel to Jumanji. That both of them got like a magic game or something. So therefore, they must be. So you thought. Uh, Deep Impact and Armageddon were set in the same universe, since they have the same plot. That's not the uh, same uh, thing at all. You know what? And they don't have the same plot. They can't be set in the same universe, because in one of them the world is saved, the other is destroyed. Both of those things can't happen. Oh, I guess Westworld and Jurassic World are in the same universe, because Michael Crichton. That's what you're saying? There's no movie called Jurassic World, first of all. It's Jurassic Park 2. God, I don't even know what language you guys are speaking. It's just, I'm just, it's just another day where I'm poning Kelly Wand. That's what's going on. Sathurip, sequel to Jumanji. <laughs> Why is my face red? <laughs> well, at least you've seen them, so maybe not. I saw parts of both of them. All right. But it's, uh, one's in space, and the other one's uh, on a street. With a How do they get into space? Don't they like play a magic game or something yeah. that shoots them into space? Isn't yeah. that what happens in Jumanji? Jumanji? They play a magic game, and Robin Williams and a bunch of rhinoceroses appear, right? Yeah, he lands on that square, the Robin Williams. And, and is it the same game in Zathura? No, it's a different game because it's got space and rocket ships, and they also break it. In- Let me ask you this, Kelly Wand. Is Hellraiser, Hellraiser 2, Hellraiser 3, 4, 5, and so on, are they sequels to each other? No, they're part of the Phantasm universe, except the thing's square instead of circle. See, you're wrong, because it's the same cube, it's the same with the game. The games no. are the same. What? It's not they're a game. Di- they're different cubes. cubes not a game. Aren't there different cubes in the Hellraiser movies? No, it's only one cube. Mm, are you sure? How many cubes are in cube? Uh, infinite number. See? So same thing. Did I just win this debate? Wait. There's one cube in Death Trap and one cube in Event Horizon. There's no cube in Event Horizon. What do you want about? Oh, wait. It's a black hole. What's the one where it's called the Tesseract? Oh, uh, Captain of America. Right. Same thing. Yeah. Do you know a Tesseract is like a cube inside of a cube? Wait, so Captain America is part of the Hellraiser universe? Yep. Oh, that explains Bucky. Why Bucky's possessed. Bucky is a Cenobite. He's a Cenobite. That's why he wasn't in the first movie. Do you think Dingus knows what a Cenobite is? Mm, mm, He wants to. (laughs) If we ask him, he'll pretend he does just to try to be like us. 
Yeah. Let's try it. They're from Jacob's Ladder, probably. All right. Let's try it. Hey, hey, Dingus, what's a Cenobite? I don't know. I'm waiting to be let out the horror movie, The Cube, so that I can actually finish this. (laughs) All right. Dingus, what do the listeners have for best scenes involving magical cubes that transport you to another dimension? All right. Our next magical cube is by Nick D. Hi, guys. Since I'm guaranteed to be scooped on it, I'm not going to pick Royal Tenenbaums. But there were so many other great picks, it was hard to narrow it down. I went for most memorable cubes. Number three, Skyfall cube. Naomi Harris gives Dan and Craig a shave with a straight razor while he probes her for information about... Uh, 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 we don't know for sure. We did not actually say the scene. Yeah. It was implied. We know the sky fell. Yeah, you can infer that. It's mainly exposition, but charged with great sexual tension. Great, you see. Where is there more sexual tension? Between Naomi Harris when she's getting shaved or with... She's not getting uh, shaved. Well, she's, when she's, she's, she's uh, sorry, doing the shaving, right? That was a deleted scene. Uh-huh. Or <laughs> when Javier Bardem has him tied to the chair. Uh, when she's doing that. Uh, I think that's open to debate, Dingus. And the scene looks ab- absolutely fantastic thanks to yet more beautiful lighting by Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, Nick D's number two, The Fugitive Cube. Harrison Ford wears a beard for the first act of this movie until he's able to escape to a hospital where he shaves to conceal his identity. I will say that I don't think we've seen. Oh, no. Didn't Dwight Johnson have a uh, Dwayne Johnson have a beard in Hercules? Yeah. Yeah. OK, never mind. I was going to say Harrison Ford's beard beats Dwayne Johnson's, but that's not even that is true. <laughs> yeah, it's totally true. He looks all Russian in The Fugitive, unlike K-19, The Widowmaker, when he doesn't look Russian, even though he's supposed to be. Uh, Nick D's number one is the Untouchables Cube. Uh, the opening scene shows Al Capone giving an interview while getting a shave at a barbershop. He's friendly and magnanimous until the barber accidentally nicks him. Suddenly the mask drops and everyone in the room freezes, unsure if Capone is going to explode. It's a great little character moment, followed by the immortal line, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. We used to say you can get further with a kind word and a gun than you can with just a kind word. Thanks, Nick. Mm. Kelly one, isn't an obelisk just a different shaped cube? Jesus, obelisks, really? Obelisks are made of cubes. Uh, How many uh, stuck together? What's the circumference of an obelisk? It's not a round. Oh, half her head, I guess. Oh, my mistake. It's volume. Does it have math? Means interstices. Ah, that's a good point. What if we did like a math podcast with Bruce, like someone who's super, super knows math? Work for that. Smart. <laughs> yeah, super nose math. So smart. Super. We're gonna call math. it super nose math with Kelly Wand. And so, and they're not allowed to talk. They just have to listen to us be, say the dumbest shit. They ever... <laughs> Do they have a buzzer they can ring? <laughs> no. They have like they're like the kid in Twilight Zone, the movie, the sister, where they don't have a mouth and they just have to like stare at the, at us on a webcam, like in the Twilight Zone movie. Kelly, I think that make for a great podcast. And it's I'd always buy one. Always I'd buy that for a dollar. All right, it's not a good idea. I'll try again. All right, so this email is entitled Shaving Private Ryan. Yeah. Uh, this is Grant Stewart. What a topic. I love this. I was actually just thinking the other week about how many great shaving sequences there are and what an amazing range of emotions they are used to portray. My top three changes by the hour, but here we go. Number three, here's a line from the film... Welcome to Scotland. 
Oh, that's not the movie. It's the line. Welcome to Scotland. Please feel free to do the accent. I won't, Grant. I'm sorry. I know you already told me not to before. The Guardian? That's Iron. King of Scotland. No, it's the the film is Skyfall. <laughs> Kelly, on real quick, uh, King of Scotland doesn't take place in Scotland. Yeah, that's confusing. Yeah, right. I know. He's not a king either. He's a, and that's well, not here. that's not the title either. Well, it's not the entire title. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, the film is Skyfall, and the scene where Money Penny shaves Bond is all kinds of cool. Um, Visually amazing and allows them to share some great chemistry, but leaves the did they slash didn't they question open. I thought old James Bond had had sex with her once, but they both kind of pretended that they hadn't had sex. I the new one, hmm. they did, but they pretend they did. Uh, I. Uh, number uh, Grant, uh, you've got me all verklempt. Thanks, Kelly Hunt. Uh Grant Stewart's number two. Here's another quote: "This stuff will make you a goddamn sexual tyrannosaurus, just like me." <laughs> Nine and a half weeks. Predator, isn't it? Yeah, Predator yeah, World. Yeah, uh, Grant, even Jesse Ventura line. Spice. Uh, Predator, obviously, says Grant. Mm. Bill Duke dry shaving while doing his thousand yard stairs. An iconic shot from an iconic movie. Actually, Predator. Must be due to its it must be due its biennial watch soon. All right, Grant, you let us know how that goes. Uh, number one, the film is Half Nelson from 2006, and I chose it because of the gravity of the act of Ryan Gosling shaving has in the story. He plays a teacher with a drug habit and a struggle with conformity. As his downward spiral continues, he looks more and more disheveled. There's no saccharine sweet redemption, but the last scene is Gosling having cleaned himself up and shaved. I'm not even sure if the shaving happens on screen, but the difference is very stark, and it is a, cl- a key plot point in the direction his life is taking. The kind of indie movie that makes you want to watch more indie movies. Uh, that sounds good. Yeah. Half I, I, I don't remember that at all, but the, I, had, I had one that I watched where the character, I, I was hoping for a shaving scene, and it, and it went from the character getting a haircut and was about to get shaved, and then he he was just cut and shaved, and so I I dropped it because uh, you didn't see him getting shaved. What was that? That would be Hannah. Oh right right right. <laughs> Do you remember him getting a haircut and she yeah. says it looks really good and it looks like flock of seagulls or something? It's just a terrible look. Yeah, it's in. Pro- uh, it's never never look at a haircut and a shave in progress. Wait till it's done. Yeah. Exactly, and then the unfortunately the scene cuts to the next moment where he's he's clean shaven. I was hoping that we would get to see her shave him because seeing her shave Eric Bana would have been quite awesome. Thing is, Joe Wright has other wonders in store for you at that point. He wants to get along with it. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, our next listener is uh, Jim Gardam. Hello, podcasters. Uh, Predator, directed by John McTiernan, written by Jim Thomas, John Thomas. Fine example of how to define a character with minimal screen time. Simple prop and some under, understated acting. Uh, Apu's World. Wait, real quick. Am I crazy for, I, for some reason I thought Shane, I knew he was in it, but I thought Shane Black wrote Predator. He did. And he's in it as well. Well, who are these Jim Thomas and John Thomas folks? Oh, maybe he didn't. Just- Oh, I don't know what uh, – I guess Jim Gardam has the drop on us. I mean, it looks like he looked it up, like anybody's going to write that. But for some reason, I would have – and I guess maybe he was just in it, but I guess I assumed that he wrote Predator, but okay. Or those are just Jim – I thought Shane Black wrote it too. Maybe I'm wrong. I guess uh, – and I can't look it up right now, but I, I guess you're right. 
Uh, all right. It's one of them. So Jim Thomas, John Thomas. Are they related? I didn't know that. Uh, anyway, so Jim Gardam's number two. Uh, he doesn't have them in any particular order, so I'll just read them in order. Apu's World, A-P-U apostrophe S World, directed by uh, Satyajit Ray, based on a story by somebody I cannot pronounce, and I'm not going to try to in a cold read. Um, this is the final film of the Apu trilogy, and I'd have to summarize the plot of three films to describe the context of the scene, so I won't. All right, Jim. Uh, I will give it a look, then. Um, and finally, oh... Uh, Seven Samurai, directed by Akira Kurosawa, written by Akira Kurosawa and Shinobu Hashimoto. I thought uh, Shane Black wrote Seven Samurai. Oh, no. Actually, okay. uh, confusing. you are correct about that. And it was actually directed by Jan de Bont. Uh, <laughs> I would love to see. Akira Kurosawa just did a lot of the producing. but it was Black Thorns <laughs> and Shogun. <laughs> <laughs> the introduction of our wise and fearless hero sees him shave his head to impersonate a monk. In so doing, he abandons the samurai's appearance and vanity. Also, it is a badass look. So Jim Gardam's runners-up, uh, Northburg Northwest, Royal Tenenbaums, and The Idiot. Thanks, Jim mm. Gardam Pallister. Thanks, Jim. This is great. What is The Idiot? I don't know. Uh, is, it a, is it a dusty thing? Yeah, that's what I think of. All I remember is that they, is the, Chaplin, the so. restaurant they go to in uh, L.A. Story is called Lidio, which translates to the idiot. There's uh, your, um, there you go, Tom. Uh, next we have David Baptiste. Hi, Dingus. Hi, David. Uh, hopefully this is before Wait, why is he saying hi to you and not us? What the heck? Doesn't give a fuck. Because it's my it's topic. Baptiste. Be nice. So finally, somebody says hi to me. Usually it's like, Kelly, you're our favorite. Uh, hopefully this is before the deadline. It That's is my true. first time. You always remember your first time, David. And I don't know all the rules yet. I'm second-guessing a lot of people will choose Royal Tenenbaums, and also third-guessing that a lot of other folks will say they're second-guessing a lot of Royal Tenenbaums' choices. All right, well done, David. So here's my top three best shaving scenes, which have seemingly all had long-standing effect on me. Number three, Cabin Fever. <laughs> See, Kelly See? Yeah. Wait, what? It's, he's right. It's well, good. yeah, but he's Dingus' little buddy. He's not talking to us. We're not. Uh, oh, that's true. So he's Kelly has high. been the only one to bring up Cabin Fever so far. So, David, next time say hi, Kelly, so he doesn't feel bad. No, it's all, all right. right. So hey. number three, Cabin Fever. After, quote-unquote, Marcy gets with the dude from Boy Meets World, who has been infected by the same terrible virus that infected Eli Roth's career. Oh, snap. I like this David Batiste fellow. Yeah. He's He's got some piss and vinegar in him. Go, David. Yeah. He's given Eli the... Eli Roth movie. (laughs) He's been infected by the same terrible virus that afflicted Eli Roth's career. She relaxes in a bathtub, and it begins to shave her legs. Only she starts to take huge chunks of flesh along with her hairs. Since seeing it, I've refused to shave my legs or have any intimacy with former TV actors. Sorry, Tom. Wait a minute. Just stop. Either. I didn't want to go out with it. What, what? Was I hitting on David Batiste? Is that I think it's across? sorry, Tom. <laughs> How can you even tell? Number two, Home Alone. Uh... <laughs> Wait, yeah, I kind of remember that. Doesn't he shave? He's trying to. It's when he's first. Do you life. remember the? I, all I can remember is the um, when he puts uh, uh, what's aftershave on his face and screams. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> so, so David said, 
this might need a ruling. <laughs> this might need a ruling from the three by three cop. But the scene in question has Macaulay Culkin pulling his best Patrick Bateman and explaining his wash routine. After combing his hair and spray on deodorant, he gets two handfuls of aftershave and splashes them on his cheeks, proceeding to scream loudly. I saw it as a kid and have never tried aftershave. <laughs> I put aftershave in my balls one time. All right, Kelly, really? And I, they, they turned it into Macaulay Culkin's face. Yeah, I did. I didn't. There was no money penny around to help me either. I had to do it money all on my own. No money penny shot. Plenty of cream. One. Uh, David Baptiste's number one. Uh, way to bring the room down. 50-50. In preparation for chemotherapy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt uses Seth Rogen's body shaver to remove all of his head hair. As someone who has had his hair cut by his friends, the initial weird discomfort giving way to goofy styles and uh-oh was portrayed really nicely. Maybe this one didn't have a long-standing effect other than introducing me to Anna Kendrick's, quote, insert Kelly Wan noise. Uh, again, not a shave. It's like a head shave. Uh, I'm, I'm citing shave. Uh, David Baptiste with uh, a minor infraction. Uh, David, here's your court date. Um, if you'd like to challenge this citation, call this number um, and drive safely, sir. Uh, and David Baptiste uh, gets back in my good graces with keep up the good work, etc., etc. Does Midnight Run hold up? Your pal, David. Yes, David, it does. Dingus, why don't you and David what? go off and like have a coffee and get a room together or something? We'll get a coffee or we'll have some caramels, whatever we want. Why don't you uh, have that pencil in his neck? Is this from? It's a Midnight Run line, I thought. Oh. Did I mangle it? Sorry. I was doing a Midnight Run quote. Just say just say something, 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 Alonzo Mosby. Pencil. Okay, yeah. Just say I got two oh. words for you. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Uh, next we have Chris Hornbostel. <laughs> And he titles his email, Close Shave! Exclamation point. Uh, hello, Quarter to Three Movie Podcast. This is a great topic, although the fact that shaving scenes in movies inherently give me the willies kind of detracts from my ability to come up with scenes that didn't have me reflexively cringing. So, I'll kind of mention Luke Wilson's scene in Royal Tenenbaums. It starts off as shaving anyway. And Bob Geldof's scene. Oh, in God, the- wow. Yeah, Chris Chris Hornbostel, you know you're the same age as someone when they bring when they bring that up. Yeah. Shaves his eyebrows and everything. That's grim stuff. Uh that freak me right the hell out. And, yeah. go, and go for this just this one at numero uno. So Chris has one. Number one. And his quote is I'm your goddamn father and she's your goddamn mother. This is more a discussion about shaving than the actual act, although we do see shaving happen. But this is early scene at home in Breaking Away. Dave's dad decides to have it out with his son and walks in on him in the bathroom off camera and then returns ashen-faced. He's shaving. So? (laughs) (laughs) Dennis Christopher, yeah, I love this. So what, what would he say? He's shaving. So? He's shaving his legs. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was one of my runners-up, actually. <laughs> Very good. See, but he's a bicyclist, it seems. So. Right, right. And he thinks he's Italian. Yeah. Yeah. But then he turns French. Spoiler! <laughs> uh, so, yes, you're absolutely right. He's shaving. So, his legs, Evelyn. He's shaving his legs. I just love how the scene establishes that this is a loving family, but there's also a bit of communication slash generation gap between father and son and allows the rest of the movie to resolve that for us by the end. 
sitting here with a case of the heebie-jeebies listening to you guys discuss shaving. Chris H. Oh, heebie-jeebies. I, lo- I love the way Chris unfolded that for you guys. That was beautiful, because I don't remember that from Breaking Um. Next, we have Mark Wilson Miller. Uh, I think my stupid work computer may have sent a partial email right before this one. Sorry. That's okay, Mark. I I figured it out with a little help. Uh, Number three from Mark Wilson Miller. I'll give you a line for my third pick. Are they made from real Girl Scouts? Uh, Dumb and Dumber? Come on, Kelly. Uh, Three Days in the Valley. I expect you to know this. We're selling Girl Scout cookies. Are they made from real Girl Scouts? Biodome? This is Wednesday. Oh, oh, right. Sorry. The daughter in the Adams family inquiring about the nutritional value of Girl Scout cookies. You didn't say it the way she would say it. Well, I can't talk like her. Okay. I'm no Kelly Wand. I can't do a John Hurt impersonation at the drop of a hat. (laughs) She's She's just Costner, but British sounding more. All right. Well, well done, Kelly. Uh, the shaving scene is when Gordon Craven, played by Christopher Lloyd, is shaving his head to impersonate Fester Adams. Number two from <laughs> I get the two mixed up because they're both Fester-centric Adams Family Values. And, uh, <laughs> Festric. Uh, number two, Riddick in Pitch Black. Mm. Vin Diesel shaving his head with a machine grease and what looks like a shiv. I don't remember that. I don't either, but okay. And number one, Band of Brothers. Doesn't count. It's not TV, it's HBO. And we opened the door with True Detective, so you got to give Mark Wilson Miller a break. Right, that's you talking? That's me talking. Uh, so anyway, in parentheses, he says it's not TV, it's HBO. Dick Winters, played by Damian Lewis, wakes up in the frozen wasteland of Bastogne. He breaks the ice in his water cup with the butt of his knife before he can lather the freezing cold water and shaving cream onto his face. Gunfire breaks out and he's forced to grab his rifle and run into the forest amid screams and gunfire. My favorite part of the scene is right after this. After all the running and screaming, the action slows down and he still has a spot of shaving cream behind and around his ear. What a great touch. See what happens when we do a true detective podcast. See? Yeah. Opens the Uh, gates. Yeah. So, uh, Mark Wilson Miller's runners-up, G.I. Jane Demi Moore shaving her head. Mm. And uh, Book of Eli, the blind girl shaving Gary Oldman's face with a straight razor. Uh, I don't remember. I kind of remember that, yeah. So, finally, we have Fire. Mm-hmm. Um I guess I don't pay attention to hair removal in movies, but kudos to all the guys <laughs> for noticing. She does it. She only notices when it grows. She notices. Here's her quote. My girlfriend cut me shaving. Maggie Gyllenhaal hooks up with a guy basically moments after being released from a three-year prison term at the start of Sherry Baby. She uses this line. My girlfriend cut me shaving. They don't show any shaving, and likely there was none. But they don't need to. Mental image is a powerful beast. I haven't seen this movie in years, but dang, I remember that scene. Thanks for the podcast, Fire. I've never heard of that movie. I have not either, but I trust Fire's Maggie. Right, it sounds like she knows what, yeah. We just assume the listeners know what they're writing about. She knows what she's talking about. Honor system, right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Do you guys have any runners up? 
Uh, Dingus, do you remember a movie called Towelhead? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good one. Tom, why didn't you pick that as one of yours? Um, well, because uh, it's not part of my experience of shaving. But uh, So it's about a young Arabic oh, girl uh, who gets sent away to live with her father when she she's Arabic. She's a young girl. She's uh, hairier, I think, than other girls. And she complains – she's caught – Having her pubic area, like her her mother's boyfriend is helping her, she per- yeah. persuades her. It's not a sexual thing. He genuinely wants to help her. He shave shave her pubic hair, and she complains that all the other kids are calling her Chewbacca. And her mom says, "I don't know who that is." <laughs> but uh, and so that precipitates her getting sent to live with her her Lebanese father. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I loved that movie. That was Alan Ball, the guy who did Six Feet Under. Chewbacca's generational. Yeah. Um, God, that's so great. And what's the name of the the dude? Do you remember the name of the boyfriend? Because she says something. Oh, man, I remember the line. Oh, that's such a great pick. Yeah, because he means well. He's not, and he's uncomfortable, but he, you know, she's, she really needs help, and she doesn't know what to do. And uh, I forget who that was. I don't remember either, but that was great. That's a great one. Are there other ones? Uh, I had Dead Alive, where um, the grandma or the mom is... He's trying to get her ready for some meeting with the uh, PTA, and she shaves off a piece of her cheek, so he has to super glue it back on, like that flap. Remember that? Okay. Dead alive. Run around. <laughs> also, Penn and Teller get killed, because Penn's last name's Gillette. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked nobody brought up Color Purple. Well... It's not till it's an like iconic it shaving till, scene. I mean, it's it's intercut with, I mean, it's that whole Africa intercut with while they're shaving his. I mean, it's holy cats. Well, why would nobody bring that up? I guess because it's it's a red herring. She doesn't do it, so then it's not as yeah. memorable. Maybe. Okay. Uh, I knew that maybe not living in Arkansas any longer was a good idea when I once came back from graduate school and ran into a girl I had dated in high school, and we were just chatting, and Color Purple had come out, and we were talking about what movies we'd seen, and I said, did you see Color Purple? And she's like, oh, God, no, why would I see a movie about those people? (laughs) Wow. Wait, she means people with stubble? I don't know what she meant. (laughs) Who knows? People from the 20s? Anyway, I dated a girl in high school who said that about the Color Purple. And that's why she's still there. I don't know where she is. Well, people in my hometown, and I was in high school at that point in Virginia, called it Colored People. That's what they called the movie. But the movie title? Yeah, the Colored People. Instead of Color Purple. Oh, that's not very clever. No, it's not. I'm not trying to explain. I'm not trying to suggest that they were clever. If you're going to be a racist, at least be yeah. clever. At least be clever. I'm trying to be kind. Yeah. Trying anyway, I, I just remember how dramatic that scene was when I saw it in the theater and how scary it was. And I think uh, Danny Glover's in it. It's not scary, though, because you kind of wanted to do it. Well, speaking of dramatic and scary, Kelly Wand, what's our 3 by 3 next week? I'm really excited. I've been wanting to do this one since we started doing the podcast, but I always forgot. It's uh, three best uses of poo. Do you mean Winnie? In movies. All right. Yeah, well, I foresee a lot of discussion about the-
spoiler. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't have to be human poo. Oh. All right, does not ha- Okay, good. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> and also, I'm glad that you a great ellipsis before saying in movies. Well, Tom said it. Oh, you know what? I guess we're going to do that. I'm sorry to sabotage it, but yeah, sorry. I shouldn't have said those things I said. I take it. You know what? I'll bleep myself. What do you think of that, Kelly Wand? Mm, finally. <laughs> I already know well, what my number not. one is going to be. I see what he did, Tom. Wait, he got the number wrong. Yeah, I know. Oops. He did it wrong. He's like a racist who can't even be clever when he makes right. the joke. Yeah. Colored purple. Uh, all right. Next week, we are going to see. Oh, by the way, if you have any, if you want to contribute to this, who wouldn't? Uh, send your picks in to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com The number three, the letter X. Number Wait, three. this what? what the to- what's the topic? Again? Three best uses of human. Of don't, you don't have to answer that question, Tom. Yeah, they have to know what they on question. Tom has to know what to – he has to – the listeners have to know, so Tom has to Best uses of poo, and by poo, he means feces. See, you say, I didn't say it weird. I didn't say it weird. How else are you, you going to say it? You said pew. I did not. It's he, not what you he, sit on in a church. You oh. sit on a pew, you throw – monkeys throw poo. Uh-huh. Which one's the topic? Poo. Okay. See? It's hard. <laughs> str- it, I can hear your tongue struggling. <laughs> It's uh, not a word I'm used to saying. Cool. Uh, send your picks to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com You write out, you, you spell, you, no, excuse me, you use the num- number 3, then you use the letter X, then you use the number 3, then you put the little at sign, which is shift 2, then you write out the words quarter to 3com Email those to us, and Kelly <laughs> Wand will read whatever you write. Very yeah. exciting time for all of us. Uh-huh. <clears throat> All right, next week... You should have bring lots of paper for me to read. <sighs> Jeez, really? See? Because, uh... Just play on words. I think it's this sort of thing had to happen sooner or later. I mean, I'm just glad it took five years, frankly. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm starting to feel a little wiped out. <laughs> Jesus. Can we evacuate quit, this? Quit loafing around and uh, <laughs> get to the uh, next thing. <laughs> Why don't you save these for next week, Kelly? You can probably just reuse them, right? I guess I have verbal diarrhea. (laughs) Let's see a movie next week also. Okay, you guys, Uh, so listeners, you're in for one of these. You're in for a rare treat where uh, Dingus and Kelly Wand have no idea what movie we're going to see next week. I'm going to spring this on them. They are going to find out at the same moment as you were going to find out. Doesn't it happen every week? Actually, what happens is when I post the podcast, I'll write next week, colon, in the name of the movie. So listeners... If you saw the front page of the, the website where this podcast is posted, you already know this. They know and Kelly, yeah, you guys know more than these guys. It's like time travel. Okay. Next week, we're seeing Honeymoon. Oh, God. <laughs> what? Why right. does everybody is else know before us? Is this your favorite thing you saw all day? No, I haven't seen it. I don't know anything about it. I can uh, tell by the way you're saying it, it's going to be a terrible nightmare. Really? Okay, so here's the reason that you would want to see it, Kelly Wand. Uh, it has an that? actor named, uh, I think his name is Luke Treadway. Uh, he was, if you remember the movie Fish Tank, right? Yeah. Katie Jarvis uh, kind of takes up with this boy who was caring for a horse, and they she bec- he becomes like her, her boyfriend. He's an actor named Luke Treadway. He's been yeah. in some horror movies. He's one of the leads in it. That's the reason, Kelly Wand, you'll like it. Dingus, the, move, the reason that you'll like Honeymoon is the other lead in it. She's an actress who has red hair in a TV show called Game of Thrones, 
where she hmm. plays a wildling named something like Egret. Egret. Ingrid. Ingrid. Yeah, right, Ingrid. Right. So it's that actress and a, a guy who I think is very good. I think his name is Luke Treadway. Uh, and it's called Honeymoon. And that's all you guys get to know going in. I'm not even going to tell you that it's a romantic comedy because maybe it isn't. What do you think of that? You know nothing, Tom Chick. Very good, Kelly Wand. Nicely played. You know nothing, Luke Treadway. Uh, so Honeymoon has a limited release next week. It's also Ugh. available for video on demand. Uh, see that and then join us for the podcast followed by uh, whatever the 3x3 three three is. I forget now. Uh, but we will discuss <laughs> those things next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Matoski. It's Christian Morosky. And we also had Kelly Wand. Sweeney Todd works for both this week and next week's topics. Well, Dingus, Tom picked another song with math in the name, as usual. Big surprise. You know what I'm thinking? Unplug the phone. Tom, he's not talking about me, is he?